Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Check us out on Twitter at Political underscore Beats. Also find us on Facebook, and we ask you to subscribe to our feed for new episodes through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or go right to NationalReview.com, click on the podcast tab, find all the fine NR podcasts there. When possible, leave reviews, help others find the program. We also invite you to, well, help us out. Throw a nickel in the, in the tip jar. Pat- maybe, more than a, maybe more than a nickel. Uh, Patreon.com slash Political Beats. There you can support us, help the show stay ad-free as it is right now. We have entry-level for support and voting privileges and a few extras here and there. Mid-level for early access at a higher audio quality. And upper-level best friends, they get the early access, the higher audio quality, the monthly exclusive content episodes, remastered shows, playlists, and more. Find all of it at patreon.com slash politicalbeats. We now come to the part of the show in which we thank some of our Patreon supporters specifically and individually for helping support the show and keep it ad-free. Thank you to some of our newest supporters, Danner013, also Jack, Daniel Schwanke, Wally Thurman, Rob, Gregory Jewell, Ethan Harema, John Boland, and Ron Schiffman. Thank you and the rest of you who support us over at patreon.com slash politicalbeats. We couldn't do the show without you. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing fine. Just got back from the ER. Bit of a misadventure. You know, you know, people who have been paying attention on Twitter might know that I'm getting pretty hyped up for this week's episode. Unfortunately, I may have carried things a bit too far. I, I staged an industrial accident and well, now I'm down a couple knuckles. <laughs> You know, it, it, it does. We just have to down tune the frequency of the podcast, and everything will be fine. That'll make it a lot more easy to play uh, these things over. Yeah, I agree. yes. Jeff is at Esoteric CD, and we welcome in a returning guest from our fine, fine ACDC episode from long ago. He's back for another bite at the apple. He is now Washington bureau chief and senior Washington correspondent at the Independent. He's an MSNBC columnist and the author of the book, We're Not Broken, Changing the Autism Conversation. You find him on Twitter at Eric M. Garcia. He's Eric Garcia. Eric, thanks for joining us once again. I'm glad to be back. We are, happy, we are happy to have you back and happy to tackle another uh, band on the heavier side of things. Today's yes. in D.C. with uh, Eric, and we bring him back now to discuss Black Sabbath. There are more angles perhaps than expected in this episode. We'll handle them throughout the course Way of the show. Way more angles. Yes. And, and by the way, I gotta say, Eric, congratulations on getting the two Godfathers. You got ACDC, now you're getting Sabbath. You, you've definitely yes. you got them both. <laughs> hey, b- before we talk a bit more about Sabbath, Eric, take a small opportunity. Tell people about your work at The Independent and uh, uh, what else you're up to. 
Yeah, so I, uh, I'm the senior Washington correspondent over at The Independent. I, uh, I basically anchor our coverage. I write our newsletter inside Washington every uh, every night at 6. It drops into your inbox. Uh, on top of that, I'm columnist for MSNBC. And then two years ago, my book, We're Not Broken, Changing the Autism Conversation, came out. Uh, that book has kept me uh, – I mean, I'm still traveling a lot, uh, still, still promoting it. Uh, I said, and, you know, I tweet regularly about it. So, yeah, I, I'm, but, I, but I'm glad to be here. I started writing it right around the time I, I, I came on uh, Political Beats last time. So. It's, yeah. it's, it's definitely cool. So, so we, you're saying we're the inspiration that helped you finish in the some book. ways, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of Sabbath. A lot, listen to a lot of Sabbath. As we say, we always say this, good things come to those who guest on Political Beats. Everything yes. always just seems to go well for them. There you go. All right, so let's <laughs> talk about the band Black Sabbath. Eric, we, we turn the floor back over to you to tell us uh, why you love Black Sabbath, how you got into them, and why other people should care about this music. Yeah, so the way I got into Black Sabbath was through my dad, and it was through the way I think a lot of people got into Black Sabbath, which was through Ozzy Osbourne. I remember I heard a commercial when I was a kid uh, for a classic rock radio station, and it was for Crazy Train, and my dad said, oh, that's Ozzy Osbourne, but then he suggested I get into the band Black Sabbath, uh, which is the band that he was in before. And, you know, when when I was starting to, you know, I started listening to Sabbath when I was like, 13, 14, around that time when your your musical identity is really starting to form. And um, I just, it, you know, the fact that it pissed off my mom, that it peeved off my mom definitely helped. Um, and the <laughs> fact that, you know, it just, you know, for straight-laced institutions, church kid you know you hear them playing the, the, the devil's music was was, was definitely a, a you know an added plus and i think that more than anything the thing that i liked was that um this th- these guys were from birmingham these were working class folks they weren't sexy they weren't like led zeppelin they weren't like the rolling stones they were just singing about evil stuff man and it was uh and it, and to a kid to a disaffected kid in the suburbs man that's that's what you want me that's it and then when i heard the first album and then when i heard the second album which is paranoid i was just like okay this is my band um and and tony iomi is one of my favorite guitar players of all time but also geezer butler bill ward i mean everybody associates them either i think people you, you know if you ask any metal singer they'll say ozzy was an inspiration if you ask any metal guitar player they'll tell you tony iomi's inspiration you, any metal bassist will they'll tell you geezer butler and any metal drummer bill ward everybody in that band was solid yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. I, I actually want to go next, but I shouldn't. Scott, yeah. you should go next. And, and it's, <laughs> I don't have a lengthy backstory about Black Sabbath. I don't have a, 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 a Black Sabbath is, is just is, is a band that I learned a little more 
and a little more and a little more over the years. I don't recall specifically whether I was drawn into them through Ozzy's solo career or if perhaps, you know, Paranoid came first. Uh, it didn't really matter to or me. Or meet the Osbournes. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I think I knew about them before uh, the Osborne TV show. That, that, that much I'm certain about. But I, I will tell you this, and, and we alluded to, to it earlier. Here's the most um, interesting thing, I think, about this particular show is Black Sabbath isn't exactly what you think they are. In in no, some ways, right? All right. So that that's sort of what that's sort of what the theme that I think I'll keep coming back to throughout the course of the show is. Yes, look, there is, and and, and it's part of it. But you say Black Sabbath, and you have the idea of the sludgy, doomy, dark, yeah. uh, you know, heavy guitar chords. Are those there? Oh yeah, they're there. Oh, yeah. You have Lots. you know the, the idea of of Ozzy sort of shrieking his head off. Is that there? Yeah, it, that's there. But there are really very different iterations of this band through time. Really, very different ways that each of the musicians contribute. I got to tell you, Bill Ward's drumming blew me away. I, I did yes. not listen quite as 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 intensely to the music until prepping for the show. You know, through all the album tracks, Ward's drumming is fantastic. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne and, and Jeff uh, said this in a tweet, and I totally agree. When you go from start to finish, and you sort of hear the evolution of Ozzy Osbourne into a semi-decent singer from where he started to where he ends in Sabbath, that's an interesting progression. Um, the music changes, the themes change. It's not all you know, devil satanic stuff. Geezer Butler's a Catholic. He writes most of their lyrics, right? And so there's there's it's a not lot even of... that after the first album. It was just the first yeah, album, right? right. <laughs> and so there there are a lot of changes, and I think a lot of ways. For people to get into Sabbath, and as we'll talk about, the influence they had as being essentially the first heavy metal band yeah. is not just on those metal acts. Certainly, there's a lot of Judas Priest and Iron Maiden that take cues, but there are a lot of just straight-up rock bands that you wouldn't necessarily say are in that sort of original Black Sabbath, Dark Doom, heavy mold that really took a lot from what these guys did, whether it vocally from, from Ozzy, especially uh, from Tony Omi on, on guitar. There's a lot of different angles here to Sabbath. I was I was really pleasantly surprised uh, going deep into the catalog how, very, how varied they could be at different stops in their career, and I think that's, as I said, one of the themes that I'll carry through this episode. I'm really looking forward to this episode. This one's going to, this one, I'm, I'm just actually hoping I don't blow it because I have so many different ways I could carry the conversation. Same. So, like, so the thing about Sabbath with me is that I, um, 
I come to them relatively late. You know, everybody growing up as a kid knew like Paranoid and you knew Iron Man. You, you know, like the basic stuff that would get played on the radio. And that, of course, is what Scott's referring to when he says the stereotype that we have of Sabbath is like dark and doomy. Uh, but it was really actually only around, I don't know, 2016, 2017 or something. I had a conversation. Actually, it was with Dave Weigel, of all people, yeah. former guest on our show. Yeah, we just happened to be like talking about it. Sabbath came up and I was like, oh, I, I don't actually really know much about them. And then everyone else at the table looked at me like I'd grown a second head. And they're like, you don't know Sabbath, dude. You should check that out. And so I did. And uh, I'm actually grateful that I didn't grow up with Sabbath. Unlike Eric, I grew up with uh, pissing my mom off. It was gangster rap and it was ACDC. <laughs> yeah. So we thought actually talked about this on our other ACDC episode, like, you know, Highway to Hell and all that. That's what my mom hated. So we didn't actually have Sabbath. Maybe maybe she was going to put the put the foot down after ACDC. There was no way Black Sabbath was getting in the no. door. Right. So, so there was that. Uh, I only came to them much later, obviously, and I'm really glad that I did because knowing what I know about music now, they're so fascinating as a group. The darkness, the heaviness, the sludginess. Th there's a, a minimalism, a, a minimalist genius in their early stuff. This is like a blunt instrument bashing into your head, and it really has a great place. In, in, in fact, I think it's some of their best work. But they evolve and they change and they sort of turn into everybody thinks of Black Sabbath as a heavy metal band. This is the band that founds heavy metal. But they're also the first prog metal band. And yes. that's the thing that that becomes much more important. You say, like, there are bands that can't exist. I think there are, there are tons of groups that don't exist without Sabbath. I think you you could say Husker Du doesn't exist. Black Flag doesn't exist. Tool doesn't exist. Anything that has sort of progressive structure, Rush, early Rush, transparently trying to copy Black Sabbath and their early albums, too, before they themselves evolved into a different band. smarter than it wanted you to believe it was these brum these brummies from you know working class blokes uh you know from birmingham you know like singing about stuff they read in books and like you know dark you know like you know stuff it, it all seemed silly and everybody hated it when it first came out uh precisely because it was like you know it seemed like like teenage juvenilia and pretentiousness uh but underneath all of it black sabbath was just a structurally fascinating band every member contributed everything actually holds up through the aussie years and even actually further onward, and they're probably one of the more shockingly consistent groups that we've ever covered on Political Beats, particularly if all you think of them is like, you know, that sludge riff, you know, if Iron Man is all you knew about Sabbath, prepare for a surprise. 
Now, Scott, do you uh, want to just basically set it up, or do you want me to? You or maybe Eric, you know the bio. You want to? You know, just basically yeah. introduce these folks. Let's allow our yeah. guests. Who are Tony? I mean, I, I, I actually, I'm going to make a little biographical point about Jethro Tull here before we get on the road. But why don't you set it up for us? Yeah, I mean, I, so I think the thing that people know about Black Sabbath is that these were guys from Birmingham, England. I guess this is the, these are the steel towns, and it comes up through. You know, they they come up after the war, and I think that you know, I think America, we we tend to think of the war as like triumphant you know people come marching home and kissing in the streets you know there was heavy bombing and england got and, and birmingham kind of there was war the, rationing well into the late 50s in england yes okay yes this was their this was their uh collective existence and because of the class system in the uk which is much more set than it is in america right uh you know it's more explicit there was either you there was either you know you go on and you become the biggest heavy metal band of the world or you get stuck in the steel mills or you go on the dole and you just become um you know you, you, you become a nobody so there was very much this the the thing that i think about whenever i hear those first three sabbath albums is you hear the you know the satanic stuff the the, the, the scary stuff but i'm hearing desperate young men just mm-hmm. trying to get out of uh get out of their their, their status in life. And hey, Eric, course, Eric, you know who I think exactly of? Uh, and let's talk about subtle influences. I think of Joy Division in Manchester. It's the yes. same vibe in the late 70s. That darkness that comes through that is just a, you know picked up from the grimness of their daily lives. Yeah. Yes. British acts come through that just that 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 sadness that comes after the war, the, the post-war hangover. And on top of that, I think the the other thing that you, you so so the, the story I think everybody knows is Tony Iommi, of course, wants to um, start his own band, and he's working the steel mill on the last day, uh, and he's left-handed. They say you need to cut the sheet metal, and then of course his last day, about to quit, about to go start his own band. His hands get slashed. His uh, end his middle and his ring finger. I get slashed off on his gets on his uh, on his fretting finger, which is his right hand. And you know, life is over. He thinks. Then he uh, creates you know fake prosthetics with his uh, with I think dish soap bottles, and then creates that. And then that. And then he learns how to detune, and that's how he creates the um, you know the sludgy guitar sound that we all are familiar with black with black sabbath that he plays and, and, and by the way for, for people who aren't guitarists the reason detuning is important if you've lost the tips of your fingers is that fretting requires you to put pressure okay you have yes. to exert pressure on strings and when you're playing an electric guitar particularly those are high gauge steel strings okay yes. you, you have to be able to push on and if you have nubs you can't do it and so detuning it takes the tension in the strings down so it's yes. not as hard to push it down onto the fretboard and and, and it, it less wear and tear over time and that out of necessity that's how the black sabbath sound comes to pass 
Yes. And, you know, of course, Ozzy Osbourne, uh, from, you know, John Osbourne, I guess you should say at the time, he's this kid who's kind of a screw up. He's kind of a delinquent. He's going to jail a lot. And and and, uh, and then he puts an ad in a, I guess, a, a newspaper or something that says Ozzy Zig requires gig, really only gets the gig because he had a PA system, <laughs> not because he was a great singer. And that's kind of, you know, what, how... what, what a classic British story. I mean, there's just a bunch of guys like one guy's, you know, has hand half chopped off. Another other guy's just like a, a yabo putting like a boastful ad in the papers and his only real talent is his gear and they somehow managed to all come together to form this exactly and then and butler and ward those are the guys who are the least appreciated in this band yes, really. yes. So you're saying yeah so geezer butler uh you know or i should say terrence butler is uh is the bass player and he's also you know as you say he's a catholic he's very into literature he's very into the occult uh, and he's a bassist and really uh and then, and then on top of that you get bill ward who's this kind of titan of the drums and some way some but but you know they obviously get overshadowed by iomi and uh and ozzy a lot of times but as i said before like i can't think of a single bassist i played in and i played in metal bands when i was in high school and college you know um I can't think of a single bassist who doesn't say that, like, doesn't worship at the altar of Geezer Butler and every metal drummer I know is like, yeah, Bill Ward, you know, up there. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I talk to the metal guys. It, it's always it's always Sabbath and actually Rush, right? So they're yes. always they're always they're always talking to me about, yeah, Geezer Butler. And the thing you need to understand about this band is that they almost had basically they came from a sort of jazz chops background and formal schooling so like and by the way we need to understand english jazz is a little bit more staid and formal than what we think of as sort of 60s miles davis post bebop kind of stuff it's not free Uh, it's a little more you know rigid but they had those kind of michael giles by the way a king crimson similarly you you know had the you know and ian mcdonald they came from jazz backwards which means that they were very good on tempo time and, and all sorts of progressive shifts which are far more you know intellectually rigorous uh, as a musician than you know garage rock and people mischaracterized sabbath as garage rock you get them together yeah. and you get them together in, in, in on their first album and you get a fascinating fusion that also really i i want to say before we dive into this first album put it in the proper context so like you know you know i think yami got all these guys together and they're all they're all gigging and then he gets like an offer uh, because he's a hotshot guitarist. He gets an offer yes. to play with Jethro Tull. All right, yes. Jethro Tull, who at that point were a blues rock band, you know, had just released their first album, uh, which was you know very different from what we think of as like Thick as a Brick or Aquang. It was more blues rock. Um, yes. Their guitarist left. Creative differences with Ian Anderson, and well, that's the problem. So Ayami joined, and and he realized, well, Ian Anderson is king here. And, he, and I'm not a writer. I, I'm just a hired hand. I'm not going to be able to play in this band. He leaves only if, like, after a month or two. He, yeah. beque- he bequeaths to them, by the way, that riff that opens their second album, which is one of the greatest songs they ever recorded called A New Day Yesterday. And the first moment you hear it, you may not realize the connection between Jethro Tull of all bands and Black Sabbath. <laughs> when you hear A New Day Yesterday, you are, oh, yeah, that's Tony Ami. That's a Sabbath riff in Jethro yes, Tull, guys. Yes.
there's a there's a there's a DVD that came out I think in like 2005 2007 that had of Jethro Tull that of early Jethro Tull that shows Naomi playing. Oh uh, yeah, it, it was a rock and roll circus. That was where yes. that, that was the one of TV, which is like late '68, I think November October '68. So yeah, that's exact time frame. Uh, and and of course they were also at that time you know rehearsing the songs for the next album. And, and you know of course we all know how Jethro Tull evolved. You know, heavy folk overtones, which incidentally acoustic music would be a part that Sabbath. Features a lot, surprisingly a lot yes. in their albums. We people don't think of them that way, but they do. You find them there. But he realized, no, I got to do my own thing. So he comes back, and this is where Sabbath actually begins. They work up this routine. And the thing you need to understand about this first album is that even though it's the darkest pitch black sound, guitar tone-wise, you've ever heard, stylistically, one of the things I love about the debut Black Sabbath, self-titled album, was recorded in late 69, came out in like January 1960, January 1970, as if to announce to the world, listen up, folks, the 1960s are over <laughs> yes here is something else oh, no! This is dark as hell, but it still has those like hallmarks of like British blues rock of the late 60s. Yeah. yeah. You hear you hear the riffage, you hear the harmonica on songs like The Wizard. This stuff, although again, tuned to 11 in terms of none more black, it still has those kind of like fingerprints of an earlier style. And this is the beginning of their journey. I love this record so much. What do you guys oh, yeah. think of the first one? Uh, that was the first that was the first black sabbath album i bought like with my own money um and i remember you get this you know for those who don't know there's like this for those who haven't seen the cover i think the cover is just as much you know just as important you see this kind of like wooded area with like a old ramshackle house and there's a there's i think like the virgin mary on the cover and it's like this is not uh this is not flower power this is not uh it's like you know. it's like so dankly overgrown and like weirdly colored it looks really kind of frightening and there's this like black lady in the distance like beckoning to you right yes. like she, it, it, it's sort of like a witch's coven thing like it's like the ending of this of the film the witch <laughs> i don't know if you yes. watched that film it's really creepy and by the way i've always made this joke on twitter there is I, I feel like the way that Sabbath truly sold their souls to Satan was they got one of the greatest album covers of all time. Certainly one of the more like weirdly disturbing ones for their debut. And every single one after that looks like I could have been doodled by a bored high schooler <laughs> in detention. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a perfect, as Jeff has said, it's, 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 it's a perfect album cover for this debut from, from black Sabbath. And there are, yeah, there are, there are kind of two things happening here because, as Jeff mentioned, you do still get some of the the British blues coming through in a few of the songs, which I'll talk about in a minute. 
And yet, when you consider things that are sort of happening uh, in America in 69, Woodstock and, and hippies and the folk movement, this is, you know, this is the, this is the, the flip side of that, uh, of that, of that whole movement is, is Black Sabbath's debut in 1970. There, there is this massive, heavy sound created through uh, what, what has to happen with the guitar. Geezer Butler doubles up that heaviness on bass, and you just have this new sound. Uh, it's one that has not been explored before, and some of the actually some of my favorite moments here are the ones that are somewhat more influenced by that British blues. The Wizard, which has that bluesy harmonica on it, that start-stop motion, and this is the first time I have in my notes that I notice again how good Bill Ward is. Bill Ward has some bottom in him on on the drums on the Wizard, some good times, bad times type moves. <laughs> It's a wonderful track, and the other one that's kind of bluesy and sort of has that feel to it is is Wicked World, which has that bluesy call and response. You know, you have well, of course that that's the one that that was taken from a yes, Jethro Tull yes, B-side. That, that one. The, oh yeah, the intro. The- it, it, it's you know the uh, the one for John G. It, it was the B-side of Song for Jeffrey. It's like a non-album B-side. It's very obscure and instrumental, of course. But you know that that whole like it's played. Of course, on Jethro Tull's version, it's done via flute. They were obviously rehearsing it, and so he took that little bit and then put it into Wicked World. Now, Wicked World expanded in concert. It's like a thirty-minute-long medley of like like you know like every blues rock riff that Tommy Yami knew. It's just like it becomes fun in that way. But I, you know, I, the other thing about it is like some of these things are like bonus tracks in one country and, and, and B sides in another. So like Evil Woman, it, it, I I always try to think of this album the way it was originally released in the United Kingdom, hmm. and, and the way it is in the United Kingdom, it's actually valuable to realize this. Side one is their material. Side two are their covers. Yeah. Um, yes. So like I am actually everybody knows the stuff on the first side, which is like the title track which is three tones you know black sabbath 
but we you know we cannot pass up mentioning this this is a band that has the trifecta the debut album self-titled yes. album yes. self-titled yes. song it's the name of the band i mean i think bad company has done it talk talk has done it um big country has done it i i, I know scott you have another uh, i think uh but this yeah. is the, this is the best of them all and it it by far uh, yes. there it, it is so stupidly simple and there is something is. so effective about just three notes it is a three note song why use four why use four when the devil's tritone will get you there it starts with the storm clouds then that legendary riff and 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 at, at the moment where ozzy just breaks down and he's just like oh no please help me no he's like, yeah, he sounds like he's being dragged to hell Exactly. He sounds like he's being dragged to hell. But the thing that makes it like weirdly effective is he sounds like he's just like a working class like Yabo who's being dragged to hell. He's yeah, like, exactly. wait a second, I was leaving the pub and now like I'm being like, you know, like, like devils are ripping my soul <laughs> apart. Oh no! vibe that never had existed prior to this that's the thing i have to get across to people about sabbath you'll listen to these songs and you'll think well i've heard that because you have because every band after them imitated it you had never heard this before you had never heard you had heard stuff like the wizard but you'd never heard black sabbath the title track you'd never heard something like nib i don't care if it means if it stands for tony yami's nibs (laughs) of his knuckles or if it means nativity in black i just think by the way first of all the hilariousness of i don't know if it was geezer or who ozzy who wrote those lyrics but i'm going to just tell you that it combines one of the most dank guitar riffs ever with one of the most legendarily dumb like laying lines ever what was it your love for me has just got to be real before you know how i am going to feel and that somehow becomes lucifer i don't really know how it goes it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it's about the utterly clobbering mass of this which people actually don't think about this black sabbath essentially is a power trio okay yes ozzy's a vocalist it's just guitar based drums on this album for the most part and they are one of they found a different gear Okay, so Eric, what were you going to say? I was going to say the same thing. Like NIB is one of those. Uh, I mean, first off, when you're when you're a kid playing guitar and you just see black, hear Black Sabbath, and you just you realize, oh, it's three notes. You're like, yes, there that is. You know, it, it's it's this kind. Of, you, you know, and but then also you hear something like NIB again. It's so you know the the intro riff is simple. I mean, I mean that da 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 da. But then, uh, and then, but it's then it expands. These songs are never simple. They're never just verse, no. chorus, verse. 
They're even on the beginning, even right at the start of their career, you can tell something that's going to be a trait of Sabbath and, and Tony Iommi as a, as a as a songwriter is that he does a better job than any of these other prog metal bands ever did in following Sabbath of just assembling different riffs together to create a piece that sounds like it just feels right. Your love for me is just Inventive, and we'll talk about this later because I got so much in my notes about like just his, his acoustic playing, his melod, his gift for melody, his gift for his, his gift for putting together different parts of a song and composition. This is really where you realize this is a very different band. And of course, there's that incredible um, intro by Geezer Butler where he's kind of just noodling on a bass solo in the beginning, and then and you just hear this like growling wah pedal. Uh, of a bass, and then all of a sudden you hear it kick in, and you're just like, "Oh, Geezer Butler's got on!" And then just Bill Ward just bashes the hell out of the drums, and you're like, and you hear Ozzy Osbourne just scream, "Oh yeah!" And that, that, that's all you. That's all you need. That's all you need. Yeah, that's the, by the way, Scott mentioned this because he stole my line from Twitter, but early Ozzy is so funny because like, he, he is, he's hilarious. <laughs> Clearly, he's like a kid and then really, he's like, oh, I'm in a recording studio. Awesome. He's, yeah. just, he's yawping away with no subtlety whatsoever, and that has its own charm. I really just love like the sort of the inexperience you get out of his vocals on these first two records. Yeah, it is fantastic. Um, <laughs> and, and one thing that I noticed, a friend of mine pointed out to me or I read in an article once was that um, you hear Ozzy later on when he goes solo he learns how to not sing along with the melody of a riff okay well, I was going to get into this later when we yeah okay yes yes um, but yeah, it's, it's, his, it's his hallmark style and people like are always like yeah is it the only melody you can write the one that Tony wrote for you already <laughs> yeah. but, it, but it works it works and you can tell that he, you know again he didn't, he didn't get the job because he was a good singer he got it because he had a PA system and this is very much he's just he's just he's just there to have a good time he's there to enjoy himself and you see you know there because there was no Again, because this was a relatively new genre, it wasn't psychedelia. It wasn't. I don't, I don't think anybody knew what to call it. It's very rough, and of course, like you know, people don't realize this. He would like hold up the peace symbol early on, and he would wear white. It wasn't like all black. It and they all, they, they all, but these, they all thought he was just holding up devil horns right there on the <laughs> on the cover of Volume Four. He's holding up yeah. the peace symbol, and people just oh yeah, more Satanism from Ozzy, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, so so it's so it's just like he's not uh, he, he's not you know insidious at all. He's just you know he's just there jumping around having a good time. Whereas all the other guys you know are are incredibly technical musicians. Like you said, they're brought up in that tra jazz tradition. Uh, you know you know uh, I'm, I'm, you know when they back when they were the band called Earth. You know so yeah. or the Walking Chevrolets or the, that was know, that, that was Sabbath before they decided that Earth was not a name they were going to make their bank on. Yeah, yes, <laughs> right. 
God, do you have any thoughts? I would uh, before I like wrap it up. I don't think I have anything else from this very first album. I, uh, yeah, everything from my notes we've talked about. I'll just say this: like that one last song on the. I think everything on this record is good. By the way, I think it's like a consistently it, like it has it has variation. Like you know, you have stuff like you know the Wizard, which begins blues rock, and then you have Behind the Wall of Sleep. You have Sleeping Village, which is a song like semi-acoustic at first intro to what becomes. I think one of the more fascinating things that Sabbath ever did, Warning. It's a cover yes. of an Ainsley Dunbar uh, band song. And what's more important is that this is like a 10. You would never know that it was a cover. It sounds like an aimless, like, likely assembled jam of riffs. And yet every time I hear it, I think to myself, well, damn, that just works. <laughs> that all fits together for some reason. I have no idea why. It's 10 minutes of nonsense, guitar solos, and Ozzy yelling random stuff. And then every time it finishes, I'm like, at the end of 10 minutes, I was like, that was worth my time. Yeah. How is it possible? I don't understand. Um, and it, this brings me, by the way, you know, you talk about you, you follow a success with an even bigger success. This, to me, is the biggest disappointment in Black Sabbath's career. And that's going to horrify every person who's a big fan who's listening. Because what comes after Black Sabbath is their most famous album, their most beloved yeah. album, the one with the hits that you know, <laughs> Paranoid. And I think it is actually a genuine example of a sophomore slump record. Before I go into my thesis, Scott, am I am I taking crazy pills? What do you think? I told you I'd give this another um, another pass after hearing the theory from last night. I don't. I would. I would not go as far as saying it, it's a sophomore slump album. I, I think don't. It's the weakest of any of these. That's the thing. Okay, but yeah, I'm, I'm not. Um... Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. I, 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 you know, the the three songs people might know most from Sabbath are essentially War Pigs, Paranoid, Iron Man. They're all on this album. So what you think about those songs you may have heard 50,000 times over the years on classic rock radio might define the way you think about this album. Um, but I think there's well, a there's other good parts here, and I think side two is a lot more interesting than side one, actually. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 lyrically and thematically, in some ways, already moving past that sort of dark, uh, you know, satanistic sort of sort of themes that may have popped up on this on the first album. It's always going to be somewhat dark. But there isn't a single. There isn't a single song. I, I don't think right. there's really a single song after this. That, that after the first one, I don't think so. I mean, it, it, you look at you. It, it's like a, it's like a magic trick, like it, or an illusion. You think there's still like dark and satanic because the guitars mm -hmm. just scream menace. Well, they sound so aggressive and bleak and black. They like well, of course, these people are into some evil stuff. Yeah, no, no, it's actually just like a lot of anti-war. Right, thing. it's still like like and here's some comic book stuff, dark. and here's. 
here's a song about you know you know people returning from Vietnam right. and, and you know having heroin addictions. That's really what this yeah. is. It's yeah. still dark. It's still uneasy. Mm-hmm. Like you said, they're 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 talking about the war in Vietnam. They're talking about the threat of atomic weapons and being wiped off the earth and. You know, the, the working class issues, as Eric talked about earlier, that really were prevalent in, in Birmingham and, and, and where they where they lived, where they where they grew up. And so that that's changing here uh, on the second album. And, you know, some of the you know lyrically, it's not it's not scary for the listener, but it might be scary for certain people listening in because it kind of is the, the pulling together of these these various strings that uh, of important stuff of important things to this this sort of lower blue collar class of people that's what's dominant lyrically on on this album as far as i can tell uh i think war pigs is is for me undeniable i think that's that's it's still a great song at black masses evil minds that plot destruction sorcerer of death's construction in the fields of bodies burning as the war machine keeps turning death and hatred to mankind Wash minds. Oh, larger. Okay, well, I mean, how can you deny one of the greatest lyrics ever written in the history of popular music, Scott? Which is where Geezer Butler manages to rhyme masses with. <laughs> Masses, yeah. <laughs> generals gathered in their masses, just like witches at black masses. And you know what? Here's the hilarious thing about that: everyone mocks the fact that he does that, but you didn't notice until someone else pointed it out. I did actually. It actually kind of gets away with it. <laughs> it does. Does. There's no it doubt. And that's another song where, where Ward's sort of big, massive dime dive bomb feels. Yes. yes. Oh yeah. Um, you know, of the songs that are not the three big hits, I, I think Hand of Doom is my favorite on the sure. album. Um, and the, the story, or, or again, thematically, soldiers returning from the war with, with drug addictions that they saw in the U.S. from, from Vietnam. Yeah, they said that they played a lot of like vets, like, you know, vet veterans yeah. gigs, you know, like, you know, yeah. like it, it, going to hospitals around the country. And they were like, eeks, this is bad. People are coming back junk sick. And, and so, like, that's what, and it's, and I think, I was Butler, I read him saying this. It's like, we were kind of scandalized that, like, no one else was even talking about right. this. Right. This it's, is like, I, like, this is like a huge epidemic and it's silent. And it, so, like, that's where the song comes from.
that is very legit. They, they were they were kind of shocked uh, when the. I mean, it, it, it's funny to think of like because we, I think I think again our perceptions of of Sabbath are very colored by Ozzy Osbourne and really the stuff that he did after he left Sabbath, which is his drug and debauchery, biting heads off bats, all kinds of drugs, breaking up his urine with like he's Nikki Six or whatever. But like you know when they were seeing this stuff for a long time and they were seeing drug culture in America that it was jolting to them. And I think that it's important to look at it. It's important to, to, to look at it, not through the perspective of, uh, you know, Ozzy Osbourne being, being, you know, drugged and, and, and his, his speech now being slurred. This was all relatively new to them. And I think for, again, <clears throat> being a bunch of kids from Birmingham, which your world is very closed off. And then you see all these people getting addicted to, you know, getting dope sick. Uh, that's that. It, it's it's horrifying. The same thing. I mean, I, I should also go with uh, with Electric Funeral, just like one of the most graphic descriptions of nuclear war. Uh, the line "eyes melt into blood" is just the the scariest description of nuclear war I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> And this is just a really, really terrifying, scary album. Not in not in the way you think of, right. uh, you know, buildings crashing down to earth's cracking ground, rivers turned to wood, ice melting blood, uh, earth lies in deathbed, clouds cry for the dead, terrifying rain is a burning pain. This is not again to to, to Scott's point. This is not you're going to hell. This is like no. Humans are creating hell on right. Earth. Hell, hell is here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hell is empty and the devil are here. Yeah. I got to tell you, Eric, you're doing a really good job rehabilitating an album for me that I always think <laughs> of as like kind of the disappointment in Sabbath's catalog. And, of course, I know I'm the guy with the hot take here. So yeah. before I get into explaining it, and I don't want to dwell too long on this, I'm going to point out, and this is the place where I think we need to point out, Sabbath was utterly hated by critics mm -hmm. in its day before you know everything we're going to talk about all these records that we now are sort of universally consider classics that you know retrospectively get rated in like top 500 lists and all that they were like c plus d minus f garbage burn this throw this into a dustbin level rated by even people who usually were had good good critical i think minds like chris gal for example usually got a lot of smart things right smart takes counterintuitive takes that aged well he whiffed totally on sabbath <laughs> a lot of other guys did and i know exactly why they did because they saw initially they thought of it as juvenilia 
as a pretense. And you know that first album, oh great, witches, hexes, covens. I think I, I remember reading I read Chris Gow's review actually like just the other night. He's like, I knew this shit was happening. I knew it was inevitable once I saw numerology columns in the Village Voice. And he's like, oh yeah, everyone's getting into astrology and like you know new age stuff. Now here comes Black Sabbath. So he never would give them a chance, and he didn't realize that there's something more interesting to them than just like that initial play and this one cemented it because i don't like paranoid i've never found it to be a very interesting album hand of doom actually is the most interesting one that's where they get into some interesting jazzy kind of stuff that that one's driven entirely by geezer butler and the bass and just like that that kind of like you know swing and riff that butler mm-hmm. and ward get to bring onto it even though it's like so menacing and slow um, but the first half of it, which is War Pigs, okay, I laugh at that. Paranoid itself is sort of, you know, everyone knows this song. It, you I know only hated it. I, I don't hate Paranoid. No, I said Iomi didn't like it. He needed, he, they, they told him he needed to do something. Yeah, he threw it off at the last second. And, of course, I'll say this much. When you want to think of what does the guitar tone of Black Sabbath mean, it, it is the first chord of Paranoid. That yes. is what the quintessential Black Sabbath guitar sound is. The song is too long. It's only three minutes long, but it's still overlong. There's not enough of days. And Iron Man, I am Iron Man. Oh, it's famous. It's so stupid. I mean, you, you explore the depths. You peel away the layers of that onion. And, and underneath this, this seemingly re- ridiculously silly comic book song, you find something that, that's actually genuinely dumb. <laughs> you know, I'll say you know I'll, I'll say that you know it's funny because I uh, when and we'll talk about this later when we go into sabotage uh, go to sabotage is that like in when Sabbath was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame we could talk about the critics they were re- repeatedly passed over when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame so that's not fair to them yeah and Ozzy at one point said just take us off the list man like don't you know don't mock don't keep insulting our intelligence right yeah 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 um but, but to your point it's interesting because they didn't you know almost as a protest they didn't perform uh in 2006 when they were inducted and to your point about iron man i'm starting to think about this now because uh metallica inducted them they performed two songs they did hole in the sky which is from sabotage and i'll talk about that song later because i love that song oh, yeah. um and then they do Iron Man. And of course they were going to do Iron Man. That's Black Sabbath's most famous song. But their performance of um, Hole in the Sky, you see, I, I went back and I watched the video performance of Metallica performance of that. And the critics are clueless. And I'm still, and I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> I, I was excited to see Sabbath get inducted when I was like a 16 year old uh, and see Metallica. They didn't recognize the song. Exactly. They didn't recognize the song. And that said to me, the 
critics still don't get it they were like okay fine you get to have you little heavy metal boys get to have your song could you please play iron man and we'll let metallica play it you know but, okay, but Eric, like, this is this is perfect this is exactly what i mean so this may be actually kind of a way to zero in on what i have always objected to about paranoid is that it's 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 functionally it's it's a fine record actually you know what I, well, my favorite track on it of all things is probably planet caravan which is like the weird kind of like acoustic chill like yeah. you know like you know excursion in the middle but it froze them in stone it created a stereotype of what oh, sabbath no. was that the critics just said okay from now on that's what they are and and a they raked them over the coals for being oh you're dumb and juvenile and then b when they obviously proved that they were far more than that they started giving them flack for like well who do you think you are getting above your station (laughs) trying to do different things immediately what's going to happen on the next every album after this they are going to start evolving it's just it's a great ride but i i've always semi-resented paranoid just because because it's so iconic it kind of like you know it, it froze the field in, in a way that i don't think is fair to, to actually what they accomplished that that's a good way of saying it that this you know the critics started to create a, a created creative creative version of them that they that they felt comfortable typecasting them into, and that is I think that that's I think the unfair version because like, I remember I was reading an interview with um, uh, with John Paul Jones about um, Zeppelin Four and um, and he said after Zeppelin Four nobody compared nobody compared us to Black Sabbath. Oh my God! <laughs> this is, this is an anecdote I was preparing to deploy later, but you beat me to it. Okay. Oh my yes. God! I'm so sorry. It's, 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 it's at the end of the box set, uh, the Led Zeppelin box set that we all bought when we were kids. Remember that big four CD <laughs> yeah. with the crop circles on it? You know? Yep. Yes. yes. Yeah. There it is. Right. Yeah. Um. But it, it is. It, it. But it's. But you know. And it's almost like. It's almost derisive. It's almost like John Paul Jones. Almost and that's what I, that's what ticks me off about it, right? Yeah, it's almost he's almost insulting. You, you know, I, I mean, I, how dare I you do, compare us to these lesser these lesser blows? Yeah, we're musicians. We're Led Zeppelin, you know, and you will respect us. And, and here's the thing, and, and, and you know what? You this is so organic. Thank you for bringing this up. But I was I didn't know if I was going to be able to make this point, but now I can. I of course knew I've no I knew Led Zeppelin since I was six, 16 years old. The whole discography, right? I didn't know yeah. Sabbath until much more recently. Um, we've done Led Zeppelin. I love Led Zeppelin. They're great. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they're bad. I find Black Sabbath far more interesting than Led Zeppelin. Same here. Same here. Okay, and that's just a fact. And I, I have, uh, I've, I find myself. What do I want to listen to if I'm in a hard rock, heavy metal mood? It's, it's going to be Tony Yami. Uh, and not Jimmy Page. It's going to be yeah. Ozzy and, and, and not Robert Plant. And I don't know why that is. There's just something about these guys that's just a little different and a little weird and a little more dangerous.
I, I resent, I, I, I thought that was a funny punchline when I read it as a 16-year-old, not really knowing Sabbath. Now it bugs me. And now I think, well, you know, you, you, you might, you might have, you know, you might have blown it in retrospect by dismissing them so easily. And they were angry about it too. This actually brings us to the third album, which is where you kind of see them reacting against the the, the, the criticisms that they had gotten. It's almost like Geezer Butler. I, I again joked about this on Twitter the other day. I was, I was like, he, he woke up. He's like, wait a second. Uh, what, why, where did people get the mistaken impression that we're into Satan? Uh, I'm actually not into Satan. <laughs> And so now you get you get Master of Reality, the third Black Sabbath album, which is secretly the greatest Christian rock album ever released. Nobody will ever realize it, but uh, after Forever, Children of the Grade, if Into the Void, there's no questioning where the this, this lyrical perspective is coming from. Anyways, you were saying. <laughs> Perfect setup, perfect setup. Because again, and again, you you hit it on there, is that um, again, the critics boxed them in with Sweet Leaf. That's why they opened it with that, with the dumbest, stupidest (laughs) thing ever, a tribute to just getting high. You know, oh God, I I hate Sweet Leaf and I love Sweet Leaf. I know Scott has a story. I get what they were trying to do. They were trying to just say, screw you. Right. Um, and it's it's a great middle finger because it's it's like you think the, the you riff know. is the riff is itself a middle finger, Eric. You yeah. remember that? I mean, you just imagine some angry large guy stalking through a street, both middle fingers upheld, like Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, like a denim jacket. Of course, what is he doing? He's with a pentagram and he's singing a tribute to just smoking dope. <laughs> You've already written off this album, and then right after it, it gets weird. It gets really funny. Oh, but there are so many great... And again, you get to see how interesting of a guitar player Tony Aomi is on this. You know, uh, Into the Void is such a great uh, port of force of his. Um, A lot of his finger-picking on this album is just sublime. And and again, I think you see Beezer Butler's lyricism going to a new level on songs like Children of the Grave. And then a song like Orchid, which is just like this beautiful little interlude that you yeah. never would have expected. And, and by the way, I have to say, you know, as a guy who lost his fingers, I suspect, you know, I, later in life, but I, 
he's clearly influenced at that point by Django Reinhardt. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, was, he was a big yeah. Django Reinhardt yeah. fan. Yes. Yeah. Was he okay? I I don't know this, Eric, and you might. Was he a Django Reinhardt fan before he lost his fingers? I that I don't know. My guess is that because he was just a jazz player, he probably he probably had to know him because obviously. But then all of a sudden, it becomes very relevant. Of course, Django lost his his knuckles on his uh, picking hand as opposed to his fretting hand. But similarly, you get these very weird harmonics and chords yes. that come from whenever Ayami plays it. Almost again, it's very Sabbath like. There's like strange dissonances, but they're not accidental. They almost sound serialist. They they sound almost like like uh, you know post post you know, modern classical in some ways, and they're very no, entertaining. Because because I got into Django because of Tony Iommi because I heard that he said oh, I like this guitar player named Django Reinhardt, and so when I first heard Minor Swing, I was like, that's Black Sabbath, you know? I mean, <laughs> right. obviously it's, it's French and it's Stefan Grappelli. Uh, playing the beautiful violin on it but like you know dun 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 dun, dun you know it sounds right. i was like oh that's sad yeah. um and, and it's this this weird kind of dissonant stuff uh but but yeah i mean that album uh, lord of this world is such an underrated song uh in my opinion um uh, you, you know this is you, you know when i think of when i think of master of reality i think of like this is the stuff i listen to when i'm listening to wait when i'm looking weights so you know (laughs) it's 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 great music though and it's so again it is such a perfect um example of the critics just don't get us and don't get them I'll start by telling my I have Sweet Leaf uh, Radio PTSD because I would host a show at my college radio station, which was Vintage Rock. So 1964 to 1974, it was 10 to midnight. Uh, it was every night, but I would usually either, either Friday night or Saturday night uh, shift. And so, I mean, what song do you think all the potheads in the audience are calling you here every single week? Every oh, yeah, single they're week. They're lighting up. So I am I totally and completely sweet leafed out. And even you know, as Jeff said, you, you love it. Me, I'm sorry, Scott. I know you're gonna hate me for this, but this makes me like the song even more. See, I, <laughs> and to your point, the love hate, I still can't get the riff out of my head. I just don't really want to deal with it. <laughs> this is essentially what it comes down to. Uh so I, I've gotta like push I I just have to push that one aside. Um but you know, the rest of this is you know he, he he starts uh, uh, tuning his guitar even lower on a few of these songs, yes. even gloomier, even darker. And what I think is one of the highlights of their career is is children, uh, children of the grave. Uh, oh, you know this this God. fear, this mount, you know, the fear of the mounting ills of humanity, the fear of atomic war, the fear all that, and it is so sludgy. 
just it is simple, it. as simple as this. Children of the Grave invented Metallica. It, it, without yes. Children of the Grave, there's no mm-hmm. Kill 'Em All. There's no Ride the Lightning. Mm-hmm. One day we'll do a Metallica show. Heck, Eric may be here. Oh, yeah. I would love to do the Metallica episode. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just saying that, like, you know, this is where prog metal starts. Yeah, it starts and, with this song. And, and uh, there's a lot of Iron Maiden that starts right here. Uh, and oh, my God, yes, yes. I, mean, just, I was listening absolutely. to this. I was like, this is Iron Maiden. And I, I again, I, I guess I got to stick up, not stick up necessarily, but mention my guy Ward on the drum kit. His, his drumming here really transforms that song, adds a lot of texture to it. <laughs> to end up uh, again on my final five songs at the end of this particular episode uh you know later on i, I think into the void again has this uh you, i remember which one of you was just saying you had this idea of the of the song that just sort of lumbers like a monster into the void is like this i just picture like frankenstein walking and it's just lumbering yes. slowly crushing everything beneath him as he moves through the town that's how I hear Into the Void. It is a Frankenstein song. Monsters dozing through the ancient void. Music shields of darkness where they find love upon the land of world unknown. Where the sons of freedom make their home. Leave the earth is Satan and his slave. Leave them to their future in their grave. Make a home where love is there to stay. Peace and happiness in every like solitude on this record which is uh which is a little more laid back it is it is led with the bass you know geezer butler's bass leads it and so it doesn't lose the heaviness to it there's flute there's some calmness around it but it still feels heavy because of how bass led it is what's amazing to me about the songs and this is where they start to pull this trick off so neatly is now from the third album onwards, they can be both simultaneously heavy and curiously light. Uh huh. They have yes. they they have a jet that jazzy. In, it's almost like they were suppressing it earlier on. Well, it, like okay, a... now now we're established. We can kind of let our freak yeah. fly. Yeah, uh, <laughs> let some of these chops out, and and so now we get this. To your point, Scott, I actually think that the stoners should enjoy should listen to Solitude more when they're smoking <laughs> than, uh, than 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 Sweet Leaf because it's just a better song to trip to. They never called uh, for that one. I'm sorry, they they never called for that one. No. Uh, yeah, but but it's but it's a great you know, you know it's so I, I mean not that I know from personal experience but like it feels like it'd be a great song to trip to uh, more than Sweet Leaf, which is just 
sludgy and it's like i can't imagine i feel uh, like you know crazy. eric i've already been honest on this show about my tripping experiences in college unfortunately they were all set to the birds because i was you know still pretty square wasn't <laughs> 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 listening to that <laughs> my, my my one and only experience was that no, by the way the one thing i will say is this is that after forever is the one kind of counterpoint to the sludge. It's like, it's like yeah. the sprightly song. And this is what I mean. Again, I keep coming back to this point, like Sabbath's curious influences. This song, a band that we've never covered yet on the show directly. We should. I pray we will. But I constantly mention on our Patreon episodes is Wire. With the greatest punk, post-punk, goth, whatever. They invented, they helped invent three separate genres, kind of like the birds did. And on their first album, it's obvious they're Black Sabbath fans. These guys were art rock kids who just like kind of reduced everything to their bare bone essentials. They took after forever that they stripped out Ozzy's lyrics and they stripped out the complexity and now it's called The Commercial. Even the title seems like it's like maybe a self-conscious commentary on it. But this stuff, like Sabbath, one of the things we're going to find out about them as we move forward on these albums is that they weren't just sludge. They could get quite sprightly. And After Forever is the first one of these, more so than even Paranoid, which is their other big kind of, you know, hooky, fast song. After Forever is the one I love. I feel like that's the one that we should like. I feel like there's the Christian be, rock. It's also a Christian rock anthem too. It's, it's a, incredibly Christian. Yes. But the funny thing is, you have to sit there because Ozzy sings these lyrics. Like it, it's so great the way that that they produce his voice. He's like echoed in the background. They don't put him up front. He's almost there. He, he, he again. He's just like another instrument in the mix. And so like, when you kind of like, like scan the text? You're like, wait, wait a second. Oh, oh, wow. This yeah. is a Black Sabbath album. My mom actually would approve of this. Yeah, yeah. I think it was true. It was people like you that crucified Christ. I think it is a sad opinion. You had only one voice. It's also awkward and, and, and like goofy, but also really kind of touching. It's like so sincere. And this is what I meant when I said like, like this is the reaction to them. Like we're not just like a Satan rock band, guys. Like you know, like <laughs> come on. And they show it not just on the lyrics, but on. The, this is where Sabbath just 
diversifies instrumentally. Now, if if does anybody else have anything to say about the third one, or, or can we talk about what I'm I've been waiting to get here all day? I've been waiting to get to this one too because I listened to it three times. Okay, okay, you had hints of this. You saw hints of this on on Master of Reality with like Children of the Grave, Into the Void, but I will contend that Volume Four. The, the the brilliantly titled Black Sabbath Volume Four. They really thought hard about this one, naming it, uh, is actually the birth of prog metal, and and it is one of the most impressive. And, and from this point onwards, these next three albums, three four albums, are going to be something that this is where people kind of start losing track of Sabbath because right. this is what I meant when I said they got encased in. You know, they got they got frozen in amber with those early things that you know, like the darkness, the the satanic stuff. This is where they become prog, and nobody really gives enough respect to the journey they were taking, starting with Volume Four and starting starting with what might be one of their best songs ever in Wheels of Confusion. <laughs> That's like got to be one of my favorite album openers of all time. And I went back and I, because initially when I, I went back doing this, I listened to every album consecutively, just, just taking my notes. And then I found myself, I was asking, what's the albums that I would listen to again? And I went back and I listened to volume four again. And then I listened to it again. And I was just like, when I was a teenager, I didn't think, I didn't listen to this album much. And now I listen to it and I think we can make the case that this is one of their best albums. Snowblind is one of my favorite songs of theirs. Um, the closer under the sun is phenomenal. Well, I, I, I'm just I'm amused at how effortlessly they're evolving. Like, you listen to the first half of this album, you start with Wheels of Confession. Imagine you're a Sabbath fan in 1971 or whenever the heck it came out. 72. Oh, uh, you like Wheels of Confession? Don't, 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 don't. Okay, okay, yeah, this sounds great. It sounds really cool, heavy. And then, oh, tomorrow's dream. Ooh. All of a sudden, there's like this really cool pop hook change in the middle of that song, which yeah. is the moment I was like, wait, Sabbath can do that? And then all of a sudden, track three, here's Ozzy singing about this this wailing plaintive piano ballad about how he's going through some changes. <laughs> and I like yeah. that song. I, 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 I would imagine that Sabbath fans, I don't know, you guys are bigger fans than I, I, I it might not be a favorite. I think that's a really great that song. song. That's a great, great song. song. All right. It's, We're it's in agreement. <laughs> but that's the it's, thing. They, they're trying on different styles here and not failing. It, it, it's almost like, okay, uh, again, another thing I wanted to cover on this episode. Everybody understands that one of the fundamental formative influences on Spinal Tap as a band was Black <laughs> Sabbath. I think of like a, 
the three bands that most embody like you know spinal tap jokes are black sabbath deep purple and maybe led zeppelin all right but but especially sabbath with like you know like you know getting you know sort of like these these dumb guys but they've got great chops but sabbath actually beats that reputation because they get away with this changes is the lick my love pump of black sabbath <laughs> right <laughs> Remember, remember the scene where David. Or I, I remember if it's Nigel. It's Nigel yes. is, is playing the sensitive piano ballad, and then Rob Ryder's there. It's like, oh, that's really good. What's the name? Like, I'm calling it "Lick My Love." Love, love Funk. Yeah. It changes, and it really, actually, it it just works. Here at Ozzy, just Ozzy sounds so sincere. He sounds like a normal guy, and that's why it, he gets away with it, the the silliness of the whole thing. Same here, and it's it, it's it. It shouldn't work. It shouldn't work. But my God, it works. It took so long to realize And I can still hear her last goodbyes Bill Ward wrote this song, uh, and it was about the end of his marriage, and it is so phenomenal and sincere. And when I learned that Bill Ward there's wrote Mellotron. this, there's There's like they're bringing in Mellotrons yes. in there, yeah. and then yeah. you think, oh, and then all of a sudden you got a Mellotron here, and then later on strings enter on a later song, and you're like, okay, what are these people up to? Again, I'm, I'm very impressed. Scott, do you have? Any, yeah, I, I know. I, I we've been just sort of blocking out the sun here. Yeah, or under the sun. You guys both love this record, and I love it uh, less. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. I think I would. I would listen. I listen to this record again. I try to think how to describe it. And well, a actually, let me go back because Jeff was talking about how uh, how much thought was put into the name of the record, Volume Four. Well, that wasn't the, <laughs> that wasn't the title the band wanted. The band wanted right. to call it Snowblind. Uh, and name it after right. a track, and the record label was like, "We're not going to name the album after you guys doing, you know, cases of cocaine in the studio. That's not how we're going to do this." So they made them change the name to, to, to Volume Four, and I, heck, maybe the label even chose that na- that name for the album. I don't know, but this is this is the this. I mean, there's a lot of cocaine albums, I suppose. This is the cocaine album, the first real cocaine album for for Black Sabbath, and I think it does lead to some both interesting choices. Changes is one. Mellotron is very pretty. I like it. But also some weird choices, too, that I'm not sure they pull off with quite as much skill as they would actually in future albums. And the other thing, the other things that uh, the other thing that I have listed here is this is this is a really loud album, (laughs) mainly because of how front and center Iomi's guitar is that I mean. And this varies from album to album, and some sometimes Ozzy's vocals will be a little hotter, 
in the mix. This is the album where that guitar is just right front and center in your face. This is an incredibly loud album. And I don't mean that as as a critique necessarily, but that, that's how I think of this album. This is the loud black. It's not the, the darkest. It may not even be the heaviest, but it is the loudest Black Sabbath album. Something like Cornucopia, which is so oh, yeah. low so dirty and just flies by. It's one that I will just, you know, guess was in, you know, performed under the influence, maybe a little faster pace than what <laughs> they originally intended. That just flies by. There's a tremendous amount of energy in that song. Right. was a favorite i think of bottom bottom love supernaut and the drums yes. on supernaut and the way that, that that song just rides that sort of bass drum chug throughout and then iomi's guitar comes in and dive bombs in and dive bombs in and ozzy is just wailing at the top of his lungs it is such a loud loud out of control song and that's that's kind of how i see volume four A little beautiful string instrument. One of the things, by the way, again, another thing to point out, Black Sabbath albums, they they, they simultaneously seem to make no sense in the way they're sequenced (laughs) and and make all the sense in the world. Uh, Because, like, like, I don't understand why sometimes, like, why did this start side one and side one and that kind of thing. But, like, as a flow of songs, there's always, like, breaks. And there's always, like, a little moment to catch your breath. And, and yeah. I think Laguna Sunrise is like kind of like the, the most well realized mm. of all of those sort of instrumental interludes that Ayami like put on these records. They're like from Orchid, and, and all a lot of them are just folded into tracks. They're just like little like you know like one minute prelude on the front of a song, and and you know, songs actually have like three component parts. But I really love that, and I don't think of that as loud. I guess actually, now that I'm thinking about it, like revisiting in my mind, even though it's like a like a soft little instrumental, it, it's recorded still pretty loud. <laughs> yeah, it is. It it's sense. like it's actually like as far as like string instrumentals go, it's aggressive.
but it's really nice. And I just, I have to say, like, the sequencing of these records always keeps you, like, you know, like, even that, like, FX thing, like, where they're just, like, like well, I assume banging on a guitar. They're just farting around in the studio. Yeah. It works for some reason. I want to hear that between Changes and Supernaut. It works. That's like, it does. It's like the, kind of like there, there, there's a certain pleasure. And I, you know, Eric mentioned this when he talks about this band's working class background. They're playing with like, you know, the tools, the master's tools, the tools yeah. of like art rock. And they're figuring it out on their own way. They didn't take lessons. They're not, they, they didn't get it. They didn't go to art school like, like, you know, the who did or anything like that. And they're still coming up with stuff that actually really works on a fundamental level sequencing, sometimes just on a gut level. It doesn't even have to make rational sense. I just love this record because it begins Prague, it ends Prague. It starts with Wheels of Confusion and it ends with Under the Sun. And in between, you've got an FX instrumental, you've got strings, you got Snowblind, which starts as a cocaine anthem. And again, and again, the strings come in. And then, yeah, you got Ozzy singing about changes. You got a pop hit in Tomorrow's Dream. I mean, this is, I think, I, I, I think it's their best album. I, I, I can argue with this one and actually the next two that are going to come. But, I, can, I can make a strong argument for both of them. Right, but the, the, this is really like a place where I, I just argue with people. You say, you think Sabbath was one thing. They're not that thing necessarily. They are that thing, but they have so many more bases to them. And this is, this is why I love Falling Four so much. Any last thoughts before we move on to? Uh... I'm good. I mean, I think I think that we covered it, and I think that this, I think that what we do, what this does show, I think this is the perfect setup for for Sabbath. Um, Bloody, Bloody Sabbath. Sabbath. Okay. First of all, stupidest album title ever, and I, I have to believe that it is like cannibal. It sounds like you know, like a Silent Night, Bloody Night, like like a slasher film. Of course, this was like seventy three, so it may have like prefigured like all those like great eighties. By the way, slasher. I, I need to correct you. That is Silent Night, Deadly Night. Well, what did I say? Uh, Silent Night, Bloody Night. I, oh. I, I don't want to get our eighties slasher films messed up here. Yeah. No, oh, it's garbage day, <laughs> Scott. Silent night, blood, Silent night, bloody night, Silent night, deadly night. And now uh, they're all the same. But Sabbath, bloody Sabbath, is an album with a a moron, stupid title that hides a prog rock album underneath. <laughs>
I was gonna say this because we were talking about because we were we were gonna talk about this, and I'm gonna talk about we were talking about how they, how like how different Black Sabbath albums uh, influence each other. This is you, you know the way that I got into Black Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath was through Metallica. Uh huh. Who are one of my other favorite bands because they cover right. on Garage Inc. They I cover Sabracadabra and right. a National Acrobat, and that was the way that I got into those songs. Yep. That I got that I got into Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Yep. And again, it's it's it, I almost feel like they're doing a wink and a nod and a middle finger at their uh, at their critics because this is a such a corny album title. And the album cover is and like the, the album cover kind of invented what we now know of as sort of like death metal goofiness. Yes. Like that, that, that weird grotesque, like I don't know, it's like a it's like a skeleton bony armed thing. Yeah, like, that is that is the blueprint. That is the template for like every like you know cannibal corpse album ever. Yeah, yeah, right. Anything <laughs> like that. All those like crazy things that came Yeah, later. yeah, and there's the Pantera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no question. It, it, it very much is. And, and, and you know, to, to the other point, I think to, to the point that like people that like everybody outside has a preconceived notion of what Black Sabbath is, but metal. But like, I feel like the metalheads know because again, Metallica covers um, Sabbath covers a National Acrobat, and they cover um, uh, Sabracadabra. And then uh, you know, we could go back to Paranoid. Pantera covered uh, Planet Caravan. Caravan. They got nominated for a Grammy for the cover of Planet Caravan, even though um, even though Black Sabbath didn't get love for it. So like, I feel like metalheads know about this. And then again, if you think about it. Um, well, we have to bring the gospel to the to the rest of the world then, because this album's great. Sabbath. If you think about that riff again, going to the going to the going to the Metallica influence, that's the memory remains from Load. Mm. You, you know, it's mm-hmm. just better because Load's kind of eh. But like <laughs> this, this is a we'll talk about that in the Metallica episode. But uh, but this is this is such a great album. I know that this is uh, Zach Wild's favorite album. This is the uh, Zach Wild who was Ozzy's guitar player uh, for a long time. This is the album that again. If you're just a pedestrian, you think, oh, this is satanic and this is all this stuff. But there is so much good stuff in here. Fluff is incredible. It's, 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 uh, and, and we were talking it's about It's so people. self-deprecating. Why do they call it fluff? Because it's so pretty. Uh, you know, yes. now it's pretty fluff, but it's just like the most gorgeous instrumental you will ever Yes. Hear. And from Black Sabbath. Oh, we're going to have another moment like this on the next one, by the way. But yeah, keep going. Sorry, Eric. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, and then Who Are You is great. Uh, you, you know, Spiral Architect is one of my favorite songs by them. Um, this is one of those, again, like, I, and I feel like I, to, to the point about their talent grows, 
I feel like if you started out playing guitar or playing bass when you, for when Black Sabbath, the, the first Black Sabbath comes out, and then if you're, you're you're growing along as a musician, you feel like, oh, I could try playing Spiral Architect. You're kind of growing with the band. And I think that this is what the fans love about Black Sabbath is that everybody else misunderstands them. But, hey, we understand that. And like, so if you've already you know what, You know, Eric, it, somebody explained this to me on Twitter in a very similar way. It's like when I was making fun of Iron Man. He's like, listen, if you were a growing guitar player, like that riff was so easy to play. And like <laughs> yes. you, you could do it in your room. Uh, and so that's why you love Sabbath. And then like, yeah, four years later, you can do this too. You can like throw with them. band we played uh it was, it was a band called um, i can't even believe i mentioned this but it was called road geotopia we played it in a back we played in a backyard and iron man was like one of our song was one of the first songs we played and like and again it's just so damn easy if you're if you're a bassist and then if i mean if you're a guitar player and if you're a bassist just that geezer but and then you grow you grow and you mature and then you're like oh i'm growing and maturing with this band too and now we're gonna try now i'm gonna try sabacadabra <laughs> yeah exactly good luck Good luck on that. Good luck. It's, it's a hard song. To, I've tried doing it. It's, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, okay. Think about this, album. I, I, you know, I want to let Scott get his word in. I, I Sabbath, Blade Sabbath, the the rep that, that, that people have, and I think it was kind of set in stone by that first greatest hits, the We Sold or Sold or Rock and Roll record. Mm-hmm. It draws, like, everything comes from the first four records, and there's, like, one song from, like, the, the subsequent two ones, and so people just think, well, if that's Sabbath's greatest hits, I should probably drop off there. And even at the time, people were like, what is my my, my heavy, doomy metal band doing starting to experiment with strings and keyboards? Uh, uh, oh, no, Rick Wakeman is here? And yeah. this is my favorite part <laughs> of Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. This, by the way, is... I, both my favorite Sabbath story and my favorite Yes story. So, like during the recording of Yes's Tales from Topographic Oceans, which is an album that I do find things to like, but is just a pretentious and ponderous bore. It's a f- double album with four songs. That's all you need to know. Uh, Wakeman alone, among the rest of the band, was just like, this is nonsense. And he got bored. And so he just wandered down the hall. And who should he find recording with him? other than Black Sabbath. And so he's just like, all right, mates, I'll sit in. And so that's why you hear the Rick Wakeman yes synth sound on Sabacadabra. And he kills it. He kills it. It sounds like it should be there. How does yes era Rick Wakeman get on a Sabacadabra and work? And the point is this, to me, is that the reason it works is because Black Sabbath was always secretly progressive. (laughs) 
and people don't give them they, 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 there's there's an overlap there that people don't actually give them credit for. Uh, and, and by the way, the, but the the best kicker to the story is is that they wanted to pay Wakeman, you know, because yeah. you're a session musician. Yeah, you know, you're sitting there. We got to give you, and he refused. He's like, no, 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 I'm not taking money from you guys. And so they just gave him like like 17 cases of beer. Yeah. <laughs> Rick Wakeman sat in on Sabacadabra, their best album, and got paid in beer. This is a great musical match of the minds. Yes. And the lyric, and again, to the point is that, you know, people think about them with Satan and all this stuff, but like the lyrics, it's a fun love song. It's about young love. Feels yeah. good and I feel so fine. Love that little lady always on my mind. It is so British in its delivery. I mean, I yeah. also have to just say Spiral Architect. Uh, the only reason this won't make my top five at the end of the show is because I've already determined I'm going to put this album in my top five. And so like, yes. you should ho hear the whole album. But Spiral Architect is, is like one of the most uncharacteristic songs uh, of Sabbath's career. This is now melodic kind of, uh, you know, progressive rock. There is a great melody here. All right. For some reason, Ozzy Osbourne has figured out how to sing. I think <laughs> – uh, uh, a friend of mine online said that, like, he says that Spiral Architect sounds 100% like the best Spinal Tap song ever written. And I mean that as a compliment. And yes. I agree. And this is like everything you kind of like want this band to be. And it's, it's both progressive, pretentious, silly, brilliant. This is what my Black Sabbath should be. Absolutely. This is this is I did, again. I, I feel like if you didn't understand Sabbath, you're never going to get this album. But if you love Black Sabbath, this is you, you know it's a chit that every other fan of Black Sabbath is like, oh yeah, Sabbath bloody Sabbath. This is the album that I love, you know. And and, and it's it's your master's degree in loving Black Sabbath. So Scott, you have any thoughts on this one before we move on? Well, you've taken them all. Uh, I I agree. This is when we're, we we all agree. I think Sabbath Bloody Sabbath is the best Black Sabbath album. And my my evidence of that is I looked down as I was taking notes on this album and I hardly have any because I was enjoying it so much I forgot yeah. to write things down. That is quite, quite literally what happened here. Um, I mean, just a couple of things. Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. You know, they they had no ideas. They had no riffs. They had nothing when they started to to record and write for Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. And that first riff in the title track is what they came up with. And then you go what three and a half minutes in, and it. you get That's that oh that. Nope. But it's so heavy. It's the heaviest thing ever. That riff is unbelievably heavy. Heavy. And yes. I, I think it's even a better riff than the main riff. I love the way they close that song. Yeah, I know. Yes. I, I, and this is the other thing you always want to remember. Every Sabbath song usually goes through two at least different gears. Mm -hmm. they, 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 yeah. unless, unless it's like a really 
brief kind of rock track, three minutes, four minutes. They're going to go through like five you mean, changes. You mean like paranoid? That is, yeah, like paranoid, exactly. <laughs> Paranoid's a one note song, but almost every other Sabbath epic, like this is what makes them fascinating all throughout their careers. They're always like, Basically, they're throwing everything at the wall, and they're finding out that usually it sticks. Yeah, Rob Zombie likes to say that like every great riff is copied by Tony Iommi, and I think the reason why is because Black Sabbath. It's not just that like heavy metal musicians are copying like a, like a handful of riffs. It's because Black Sabbath did so many different things, and they uh, they they opened themselves up to no pun intended a cornucopia of of, of ideas that they that you can take so much and learn so much from so many other aspects and it is and it is and it is so incredible and i think again as a as a musician you have to respect their ability to grow as a song you know you and you have to respect Tony naomi's abilities as a songwriter geezer butler's uh abilities as a, as a lyricist and even you know he's this is this is going to be the elephant in the room that people are going to debate forever is whether Ozzy's a good singer. There are moments where he just he can't do it. Oh, in the next album, there's like yes. a moment where he genuinely gives me shivers. Me too. <laughs> I, I, if we had the same moment on the next album, I'm going to freak out because we okay. didn't talk about this at all. But on the next album, I too have this one particular moment that I want to talk about. So yeah. okay, but but but, 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 but Eric, finish your thought. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, like, but Ozzy just shines on this album. There are moments where you're just like, that's Ozzy Osbourne. Man, he's he's cooking, you know. Uh, you know, you, you know, because it is. So, I think again, we look at Ozzy through millennial glasses, or, or, or like the right. We through the Osbournes. We look at him as like the doddering old man who's like a a drug casualty wearing the blue sunglasses. You know, I'm like no, there was a lot more to what he could do back in the day. Yes, and, and, and he and his his capacity. We, we and we, you know, there's always been this argument, and I'm going to defend him a little bit. There's always this argument that Ozzy's only as good as the people around him. Sharon, of course, saves him from the brink. Uh, Randy Rhodes, Zach Wild. You know, he had a really rocky relationship with Jakey Lee, but then he finds his, you know, his little brother and Zach Wild. Uh, but but like. There are times where you're like, no, he has this in him, and he's a he's able to give you, he's able to deliver these amazing things. And Sabbath Bloody Sabbath is an is an example throughout the album where you're just like, man, when Ozzy can cook, he can he is frying. I mean, I I think that actually the next album was an even better example of that. This is 
I, I'd say, like, you know, if you want to make a case for Ozzy Osbourne, it's not just being like this kind of like funny guy who's like the zealot in, 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 in rock. He just like happened to be there <laughs> singing his head off. This is what happens on Sabotage. Sabotage is kind of a legendary Black Sabbath album because everybody just looked at the album cover and said, <laughs> well, this is going to be crap. It's like kind of like the Emerson Lake Palmer Love Beach album. We're like, what are you doing here? Like, they, they, I, I think. You know, like one of them is wearing their wife's tights on the cover. That's, it, yeah, that's something like that. Yeah. Oh, it's it, it it's like a goofy photograph uh, that people just and the album gets artier, but yeah. it it becomes. I've been very much wavering, like whether which of these three albums in this sequence, whether it's Sabotage, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, or Volume Four, are my favorites. But this one is one in a string and it ends with a song uh that i think might possibly be the best thing sabbath ever did now before i get to that i want to throw this one over to scott because scott you go first talk to us about what do you think of the even artier adventures that take place on the follow-up sabbath bloody sabbath which by the way is again they can't stop making sabbath puns it's called sabotage <laughs> they're they're the greg kin of heavy metal rockers yeah right um, basically i love this album and i and trying to figure out the two albums i'm going to recommend at the end this is very much in play and it's one that i probably knew the least about from this first stretch uh, outside of the next two, which which are not generally as well thought of, but th- this is the the highs on this record are so high, ridiculously um, high. And and I think this is what I this is what I meant a couple of albums ago. I, we were talking about Volume Four. I, I think the way they're able to sort of expand and take chances and become more than what they were is more seen to fruition on on sabotage are not Jeff mentioned this earlier but especially here these are not simple songs these are not simple verse chorus no. verse type songs uh, there are there are there are shifts and there are changes and and there are just a lot of gems on this album I, I think the, the, there's some of the best riffs in recent memory from from these albums it's a little more aggressive it's a little more I guess rock than say even the last album I think but look uh, megalomania is nine minutes and it earns every minute every minute yes. all of it you know you get about three minutes or so in and that's a nice part of the song it's almost a pretty part of the song and then iobi comes in and introduces this epic riff that essentially carries the rest of the song it is one of the best riffs in black sabbath's career it's fantastic yeah. 
by the way, this is the core essence of what makes Sabbath a surprisingly fun band, is that they'll always start you one place, and then they'll shift gears, take you to another place that is kind of like, oh, wow, I just jumped in the car, boom, 400 miles an hour. And <laughs> Megalomania is that, yeah, as you say, perfect example of it. Yeah, and, 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 and they're, they know it, and they're proud of it, because that riff is featured prominently the rest of the way. They give it an opportunity to breathe and shine, and then you come back uh, with uh, Thrill of It All, which is an amazing oh. song in this closing uh, lead guitar solo from Iomi that, that sort of takes you out of, the, out of the track is amazing. Hole in the Sky, which I know Eric is going to talk about, is a fantastic opener. Ozzy sings his lungs out on that song. The Writ, which I will leave for Jeff to talk about. I know it's one of his favorites, is another great song on this record. Uh, I, I keep going back and coming back and thinking, thinking, man, this is so much better than I thought it was. These songs are so well considered, so well thought, and so well executed. Some of their very best work is on Sabotage. And Sabotage past- is the album that makes me want to like throw fists and like fight. <laughs> yes. it's, like, it's like, you don't understand. Well, well, Sabbath's a better band than you realize, man. <laughs> and, 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 and again, this is around the set. This is around 75. So yeah, you have to take into fun. account when these out when this album was coming out. This we haven't, we haven't even discussed all the drug issues. Oh my god! This band. Like, I mean, like after Volume Four, I think like Yami collapsed leaving stage. They had to cancel yes. the tour, and like everybody's on every kind of drug you can imagine. Imagine, you know, just to set the context here, like everyone's collapsing, <laughs> and yet the, the, <laughs> the music, the artistic. The achievements are getting better. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, th- this is kind of the worst argument against you know uh, sobriety. But I thought about that. I was like, this is a terrible argument against drugs. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but it is, you know, I got, I got to go for Hole in the Sky. And again, I got into it because um, because when Metallica covered it, that was one of those ones like, oh, that's not something I heard on classic rock radio. But I was like, oh, it's so good. You know, when I heard Metallica cover it, and then when I heard on and then when I heard Ozzy's voice on it, I was like, this is, and I understand Metallica is one of my favorite bands. I was like, this vocal performance is better than James Hetfield's. And I was like, yes, this song, this is what it is. There's something about Ozzy's vocals. Again, just another point that we haven't really touched on. He has this keening wail to yes. like the, when he gets he's like, yeah, he has a, yeah. I guess you would, the way you would describe it, and this isn't like negative at all, it's a screech and it cuts. There's something that he does that sounds like so like immediate, and this is the reason they call the second album Paranoid, because there's something about his singing tone that sounds like a man on every word or syllable that comes out of his mouth you sense like is this guy on the verge of a nervous breakdown yeah. or or is he a drug addict as as it turns out both and yes. so that's probably why <laughs> but yeah that's that's what makes it really effective 
Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm okay. I'm gonna make this leap. I'm gonna make an evil King Evil style leap. Right. You know. Uh, you know. I've always a friend of mine, or I read somewhere someone said that Stevie Wonder always sounds like he's on the verge of tears of joy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Ozzy, and, and I love and I love Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder is like one of my favorite songs. That, that, that's totally right. That's Stevie. Yeah. Um, in the same way, Ozzy sounds. Like he is in the middle of about to, he is about to completely break down and lose his mind. Though, Every time Ozzy sings, he's on the bridge and, and he's yes. there and there's already a crowd gathered. Okay, that's yes. the thing about it. That's what makes it so compelling in a weird way. Yes. Every day I sing it and wonder how my life Just and you, you know, part of you is just wondering: Is this guy going to jump off the bridge? Right. And that is something. And I think you know, to the point about "Hole in the Sky," and then also "Am I Going Insane," which is the other song that was kind of their radio hit. The song. radio hit, yeah. This is the only um, one that made the greatest hits. Man. Yeah, but like his voice, because the sound is so thick on that album, he still cuts through. That whale still cuts through, and. He's planting his flag, and you, you know every interview I've read with um, Iomi and uh, Butler and even Ward and all them. There's this feeling that Pete that they don't really respect him, hmm. but there was this feeling when I heard um, when I, when I when I hear it, I'm just like, there's this feeling that none of the guys on Sabbath really respect Ozzy's skills. They think he's a good frontman. They understand that he was good for marketing. They understand that they're kind of like, all right, we deal with Ozzy. Um, and when I see interviews with, with Tony and Ronnie James Dio, there's definitely more of a kinship there. Hmm. But I, mean, and I get it. I, I get it as we'll, we'll do. We'll discuss when we get into the Dio era and, because they have similarly already sensibilities. And, and yes. at the end of the day, Yami, Yami was a disguised art rocker. And Ozzy's just a bloke. <laughs> yeah, Ozzy's just a bloke. He's, he, you know, it's the it, it, it's it's the Black Sabbath is the Banshees of Inisherin of heavy metal. But uh, but they but they will but they make it work. My God, they make it work. So. They make it. They make it. Okay, listen I, now, Scott. You were going to ask me. Uh, yeah. So before before I get it, tell me what is the moment that you thought where you're like, oh, Ozzy actually gives me chills. Okay. So this is the moment. It's symptom of the universe. And oh, it's about different song, but that's okay. great too. It's about four and a half minutes in when they do this sort of, I, I, it's like a Zeppelin esque uh, acoustic breakdown, like a Led Zeppelin three sort of acoustic breakdown. Yeah. It's into the universe, and and Ozzy sings, and you close your eyes, and you'd swear it was Robert Plant. I mean, you would. He he just he's able to hit those notes, and he sounds just the same. It's it's one of the most beautiful moments of him singing in the entire Sabbath catalog. Okay, you yes. know what? That that first of all, that's great. You know what I love about Symptom of the Universe, which we should have discussed earlier, because it's like this great. It has to be great. Like again, 
surprise jazzy swing there. I'll be getting into the middle of it. Song, but this is one of the very few songs on uh, any Sabbath album that actually Ozzy wrote the lyrics for. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. always uh, – it's about their legal troubles and all the problems they had with their, their former manager. And producer. Every rock band has these things, right? Yes. You know, and, and, and they're all quotidian, right? They're all boring stuff that you've heard before, but somehow this becomes transcendent. It yes. becomes transcendent because, man, I get, uh, again, I'm sitting this up the same way I did last night. The year was 1975, my friends. The weed was dank. Yes. And the, the teenage metalheads were in absolutely no mood whatsoever to hear Ozzy and Tony breaking into this acoustic breakdown at the end of the writ where he says, like, my life. It started some time ago. Where it ends, I don't know. I thought I was good. I thought I was fine, but I feel my world's out of time. And, like, it's so hilarious. It's a moment of pure beauty in the Black Sabbath catalog. And this is the moment where, like, I remember... I remember thinking to myself when I first heard it, I was like, this is where I'd like to grab people by the lapels. And he's like, listen, I know you think you know this band. Hmm. But you don't know this band. And then the person would say back to me, uh, sir, uh, I'm a stranger on the street. Why are you touching me? This is a Wendy's. Uh, yeah, this is a Wendy's, right? <laughs> but it, there's a real genuine a unity of beauty in the music and the melody and also the way he sings that. He has – he you, know, you, you, you reference Plant. I prefer this to Plant. You know why? Plant in his glory days had technical perfection, but it almost all felt performative. Again, the blokeness of Ozzy resonates. He sounds like a guy who's actually working through some stuff in the only way he knows how. Maybe there's a lot of drugs involved, but he really sounds soulful. And it's rare for a heavy metal band from England to sound soulful on a song that might as well at certain points have come off of Odyssey and Oracle by the Zombies. A smiling face, it means the world to
I mean, seriously, that moment, it, 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 that moment in the writ, it, it could have followed uh, maybe after he's gone off of uh, Honesty and Oracle. <laughs> Scott, Scott will know the reference for sure. Yeah. Yes. So I guess I, I have to say this is a great album, and this brings us to a very disputed one, which I happen to also like quite a bit, but a lot of people never loved, and that is Technical Ecstasy. Everyone's on drugs. Everyone's weirding out. The band is still evolving. This is an album that I guess my opening argument, and I'll leave it to you guys to, to hash out for now, but I would say this is one of the very rare albums where I feel like if you heard it the way it was originally released, you're not going to like it nearly as much as you will if you hear the remix. Mm. I really like that the, the new the new one, the Stephen Wilson remix that came out recently. Okay, this this is so like the thing again. I'm gonna I'm gonna argue with this with uh, what's with Scott argued with Volume Four. I appreciate the effort, and I appreciate that they were trying to explore. You can tell that I correct me if I'm wrong. Iomi is producing this himself, and it's recorded yes. in Miami. Yeah. Um. And things are about to go to hell. This is when tensions are high on the band. Which, Everybody's- by the way, I'll, po- I'll point out why record in Miami Criterion Studios because I'll po- Derek and the Dominoes Layla, which is where they're doing, that's a horribly recorded album itself. Yes. <laughs> that album sounds like garbage. It survives because the music is so good, but it's yes. not well produced. Uh, why no, go to these studios? Maybe I assume the cocaine. The, the, the cocaine, yeah, the cocaine. Uh, as always, cocaine is the answer. But uh, but it is not. It, it 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 it's there are some moments that I actually like. Like she's gone is pretty damn good. Um, Backstreet Kids is pretty fun. But there is just uh, I mean, rock and roll doctors. By the way, point, to point out, she's gone is just another one of these weird left turn like Ozzy sings a ballad song yes. that works with like yeah. I, I'm I I know that nobody who who tuned into the Black Sabbath episode wanted to hear me sing the praises of Ozzy Osbourne as a soulful <laughs> ballad singer, but man, between she's gone and changes, like I don't know, he's he's got something going there. So I know we've we've talked a lot of Spinal Tap during the course of the episode. So let me let me give you my two word review of Technical Ecstasy, uh, at a Technical Agony. Uh, <laughs> I get it. I get it. It's it's not quite that bad, but I do think that, I, I don't think it's a great album, and I do think that there's a lot of um, of, uh, of, of 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 chasing trends in a way there's a story iomi's in studio telling ozzy we got to sound more like queen we got to sound more like foreigner we're not not necessarily setting the trend anymore or or being themselves or evolving like they had them past albums but really trying to be like someone else Uh, rock and roll doctor which 
Eric was about to, to reference, I, I, I think in a, in a poor way, uh, I would agree. I think mean, that's, that's like a bad that sort of kiss so yeah, song. Um, uh, I think like Gypsy, Gypsy feels to me twice as long as it actually is. They never quite get in the right path, in the right frame of mind for some of this. Um, you Won't Change Me, I think, is pretty good. That feels like what would be an Ozzy solo song down the line. And, you know, one that I want to at least mention is probably the least Black Sabbath song they ever recorded, which is It's All Right, because it's, that's one that Ward sings, and he never yes. sings. Uh, and it's very melodic, and it's not heavy at all, and it's not doom at all. It's and a great they would, song. They Actually, would, I mean, right? they, they, it's a very good yeah. song. Sabbath legend. Bert Ward, Bill Ward was always the, the butt of everyone's jokes. Yeah. I believe there was a, 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 a situation where they, uh, one of them actually set him on fire. Yes. Uh, yes. Naomi yes. did, I believe. Right. I mean, if you could forgive that and then move on and still remain in a band with a person, you must. <laughs> I, I don't know how you do that. But yeah, it's all right. It's a great piano ballad that actually works. And it, the thing about it is that you don't even notice until you you tune in. Like, is Ozzy singing that? No, it does. It doesn't even because Ozzy's actually evolved as a singer himself. I just the thing about technical ecstasy is that like, I get it, chasing trends, all this. But I still think that there's something. There's a lot more interesting music on this album that people give it credit for, which may be one of the reasons why I prefer the remix to the original version. I, I, I would say this. I didn't hear the remix, Jeff, but 100% it's, uh, it's, 100% imagine that it's it can't be... It's certainly not worse, and I would imagine that a well-mixed would, would, would really help some of these songs. It, okay, here's the thing. It is radically different, and that's the thing to point out, is that it's not just one of those little, okay, we tweak this, we tune that. Yeah. Um, they, they really changed the... the portions of the guitars and it makes it much more immediate which in some ways brings out the fact that on some songs it's obvious sabbath is running out of steam there's like a, you know rock and roll god i completely agree with you about that one that one's terrible but there's was it is it all moving parts i just like that sweet leaf part too basically it's the same riff and yeah, and they're recycling it but on but on the other hand Dirty Women has a classic Sabbath moment that shouldn't be forgotten. I think that's actually uh, I'm praising a song called Dirty Women. Okay, but at the end of that, midway through at least, it it breaks into its second mode, classic Sabbath style. And with Ozzy, that's one of their. I'd say maybe you know it um, it, it it hits number ten on my top ten Sabbath moments. 
because mm-hmm. it proves that they still had that 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 kind of style, the ability to pull that sweet like song off. It's it's here to me where the drop off really begins. I guess, unfortunately, unless Eric, you have any thoughts to, to add oh, before also, we move on. I get what you're saying. And like I said, I need to go back and I'll listen to the remix and, and maybe I'll, now I'm going to go back and listen to the remix and then I'll, I'll, I'll tweet out my it, thoughts. It, it's really different. And I have to emphasize if you're a Sabbath fan, I'm like, it's yeah. a totally different experience than the one that you were used to. Yeah. But I think also, I, this is, this is, this is my opinion. I think that by that point, there were so many stories about Sabbath coming apart at the time. Yeah. And that oftentimes clouds how people blurs how people view it, because then I mean because now there's so many stories that this is around the time that that Ozzy's getting rid that that people are starting to think they're thinking about getting rid of Ozzy, all these other things. So there's this feeling when you know the biography, it almost gets in the way of the music. Right. And I think that makes it very hard for people to. This is actually I, I have to emphasize again one of the wonderful things for me about coming to them later and that like not growing growing up with all of the tabloid stuff is that like I just heard the music as the music, and so I now reading back and knowing all the backstory I can recontextualize and all of that, but. I can hear the evolution sonically, and that's yeah. what I hear. I don't hear the stories about you know people passing out backstage because of you know drug overdoses and things like that. Yeah. And, and but you can still hear the, the there's fraying here a ton. There of is it. fraying. This is the sound of a band breaking up, or at least the first incarnation of a band breaking up. Yeah, I think yeah. it'd be worse than the next one, but you can tell yeah. it's not. It's not. It's being held together with you know gum and duct tape at this point. And remember, and remember what I said about how like you know the you know the deal with the devil that Sabbath made. You know, like their first album was going to be like like the awesomest album cover ever, and then every other one would would look at was drawn by a child. Um, well, their last Ozzy era album would also be one of their coolest album covers ever, but the album's going to kind of suck. <laughs> And so that's that's what leads us to never <laughs> say die, never say die. I love that album cover. It's like a very striking kind of high contrast photograph of like I don't know, are they World War One or two like you know aeronauts? You know, like yeah. they have those weird like masks and the head. They they're doing some daredevil stuff. All I can tell you, um, of course, this is when Sabbath is kind of expiring. This is 1978. This is the it's end of the, the ironic world. title, Jeff. The ironic title, even they admitted it. Like, yeah, we called it that because we were laughing about it. Like, yeah, we're all, we're all screwed. This is over for now, at least. And yes, and that was indeed the case. And so, yeah, now we have Never Say Die, an album that I will actually kind of defend in a lot of places because, you know, there's 
I like Sabbath, and there's there's some good music, and there's some good musical ideas here. I like Junior's Eyes. I like Hard Road. Hard Road is uh, one of my favorites on this one. I like Shockwave. I mean, there's there's some good stuff here, but yeah, no, this is just this is where where they actually did say God. There's also this is the famous story. You know, you were talking about the Van Halen part. We'll talk more about Van Halen later. Um, is that this is obviously the this is the tour when they went on tour. This is the famous Van Halen David Lee Roth tour, where David Lee Roth would see Ozzy's moves on stage the night before, and then the next show he'd copy them, and then Ozzy and Sabbath would get booed for basically copying David Lee Roth. <laughs> And it's very, it's symbolic of where heavy metal was going into the 1980s, and and it's and, and it, that is the sound of a band. So so it's very much this is a this is this is the jalopy of a band at this point. There is there's, there's nothing heavy about this record. I mean, by this point, they sh- they have, they have almost entirely shed that sort of real heavy metal image and they're moving into different things the expedited with the change in singer on, on the next album some other places they want to go i think the, the, you know considering the ideas here considering the material the songs are way too long and they're not they're not 10 and 11 minutes but they're they're five and six minutes and again considering the material and the ideas they're they're just too long um air dance i, I think is all right they bring in a, a piano player to do some sort of proggy moves on air dance which works out pretty well but something like Over to You is just sort of, it's just aimless plotting. There's just not a lot to it. Uh, Johnny Blade is a song that I've noted as having since an over-the-mountain feel from Ozzy's solo career to come. Johnny Blade um, may actually be the worst song Black Sabbath ever released. That's my opinion, at least. I, 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 I actively hate that one. And that, <laughs> there, are, there are mediocre instrumentals. There are Iron Man. There are many things about Sabbath's career I can make fun of. But that's like one of the very few songs that I just like skip. I don't like it. And you certainly don't at the end of this album, I, I think, feel that there's a, a way to move forward. I don't know where they would go from here in the current iteration, which for them, uh, maybe they saw the same writing on the wall. Changes were coming. Yeah, here's the big thing about... Okay, so 
now we're going to get into set. Is is there a term for like Sabbath esoterica, Sabbathiana? We're we're going to get into like the weeds about like like people who love this man really start arguing about what happens to them after Ozzy Osbourne leaves. Yes. So like so Osbourne gets. Eric, you can tell me. Did he leave or did he get fired? I can't remember. This is where the, it gets it gets murky because Ozzy, because like to understand to, in Ozzy lore, how he says it, how everybody says it, or, or like how he's created this mythos of himself is um, Black Sabbath fired me. I fall deep into my drug addiction. Sharon pulls him out. Randy Rhodes pulls him out, and then it becomes. Ozzy Osbourne, The Prince of Darkness, all that. Um, Black Sabbath says they were more; it was more complicated. They, you know, there's arguments about whether he quit or whether he left. Um, whatever there is, there is a there is a dispute, and it and there is a and there there is a way to try to paint yourself in the better light. So Sabbath it benefits them to say that you know you left the band. Um, Ozzy, it's important to his image of you know the image that we have of him as of him coming up as a phoenix after being fired from from Black Sabbath. Uh, and he puts out, you know, he becomes this this, this dominant figure of the 1980s. So and what matters most here is that this introduces us to the pride of New Hampshire. Uh, namely, Ronnie James Dio. Um, now, we're, again, most of Political Beats has been devoted to pop music, rock music, classic stuff. We really haven't dived deep into the weeds on metal. But man, like Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, okay, it formed into the, into the wreckage of the earliest Deep Purple. I'm into yeah. it. Okay, that's where Ronnie James Dio came out of. And, 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 the thing is, is that Deep Purple and Sabbath were on parallel tracks. Deep Purple has an earlier and different story. Um, but when Blackmore quit Deep Purple, uh, he did this. He got Dio as his lead singer. So this is a guy who's A, and this is important, American. Yes. Uh, not British. But B, has a pre-established sort of rep and, a, and a, yes. an image and, and, a, and a career comes in to take the reins for Black Sabbath. And it would sort of be like, I'm trying to think about it, you know, it, you, me and my prog thing. It would be like if Greg Lake took over for, for Phil Collins and Genesis. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 you could get some really great music out of it, but it's, it's no longer, is it really Genesis? Mm -hmm. And this is, I guess, the way I'm setting up our approach. So the last two albums that we're going to discuss on the episode, which is the Dio era of Sabbath. And, yes. you know, it begins with Heaven and Hell. This is actually, in my mind, really great music. Okay, I love good, it. Good and really, like, fantastic music. But I asked myself, is it Sabbath? And I don't know if I've ever thought it actually is. So I know, Eric, you love this record. So why don't I, you, you pitch me on it? So I am going to go to war for this album. Sing me.
I will say now that you now that you say this, now you're really starting to convince me. Because when because in the two thousands, uh, before Ronnie passed in twenty ten, that iteration of Sabbath went on tour with uh Vinny Abbasi, and we'll talk about Vinny Abbasi later on drums. Uh and uh Geezer Butler and Tony Iommi, and they toured under the banner as Heaven and Hell. Um and that it, I can see why the argument it's it's the argument of like is Van Halen Van Halen without David Lee Roth. I understand that. But I can't help but love this album so much. Um Children of the Sea is one of uh Tony Iommi's best guitar yep. performances. Yep. Um Lady Evil is basically a rainbow song with um you know, with Black Sabbath with Tony Iommi on it. Uh, and then, uh, you know, everybody knows Heaven and Hell. That's actually my least favorite song on that album, uh, even though I love it. Um, but then uh, but then also the other one that I love that I just adore is Wishing Well. I adore yeah. that song so much. And it just, again, th- you can definitely tell because Ozzy is a bloke. Ozzy's, you know, we all know that guy at the pub. Yeah, okay, you know, okay, you just, you've actually crystallized it for me, Eric. This is the difference between Ozzy era Sabbath and Dio era Sabbath. Ozzy era Sabbath is the bloke at the pub meets the art rocker, all right? But Dio era Sabbath is the art rocker meets the art rocker. And (laughs) that's what changes it. Yes. I'll go back and reread some interviews and when I watch videos of it. Iomi doesn't it's not to say that Iomi doesn't love Ozzy. I'm sure he loves Ozzy, you know, the way that you can only if you've been in a band with someone that long. But he has a very he approaches his relationship with Ozzy very differently. Mm-hmm. Whereas also the other thing that's important, I remember reading an article, you know, when, when you know a few years back, many years ago. Uh Ronnie's also a bassist. And that, you know, so like he would contribute to that. And he wrote a lot of the lyrics on this album. And it almost kind of like jarred Geezer Butler, where he's just like, well, you know, I kind of write a lot of the songs on this in this band. Um, but yes, that is, I think, the different approach. These are, uh, Ronnie is on Tony and Geezer's and Bill's mu- level musically, like musicality and technicality wise. Um, and it fundamentally becomes a different band. And of course, you know, Ronnie James Dio, we owe him credit for, you know, popularizing the horns. Um, but, you know, it is a very different band, but I can't help it. I adore this album. It's a very good album. And I'm, I, I, I feel like I want to split the difference here, which I, which I sometimes do, in that I agree with Jeff in that I, I don't know if it's quite defined as being sabbath i mean 
it is not really heavy anymore. It is just a ha- intricate hard rock, arty hard rock, done extremely well. And to that end, with Eric, I'd say, does it matter that much if it if if we think of it as Sabbath or not? Um, you know, three quarters of the band, at least in the recording of this this record, Ward would leave shortly after, is still Sabbath. And it's great music. These are great songs. I think there are really good songs on both of these uh, these these uh, Dio albums. Mob Rules to talk about in a, in a minute. And I think Mob Rules actually feels to me more Sabbathy than than, than Heaven and Hell does. But Heaven and Hell has great songs. Eric already mentioned Children of the Sea, which I think is sort of the uh, exhibit A of songs that only work because Dio's in the band, uh, and that's quite literal in that they had written. They had tried to write "Children of the Sea" with Ozzy, and he couldn't. He couldn't do it. He couldn't figure out how to how, how to sing it. And this goes back, way back to I think Eric made the point. You know, when Ozzy sings, Ozzy is singing the melody of the guitar, and Dio, of course, doesn't. Dio sings across the riff and creates his own melodies, and it's a very different way of approaching the music, and creates then a different environment for how to write the music and write the lyrics. Um, you know, Ozzy's or uh, Dio is you know out singing the riffs in places, especially on on the Heaven and, and Hell album. And Children yeah. of the Sea is a perfect example of, of of the difference in the band. It starts this acoustic sort of sweet intro into the pounding beat. There are many melodic shifts uh, and at the very end. You finally get kind of I think what you know what Sabbath fans want. You know the, the prototypical. You know get the very the, the deal growl the very gruff riffage at the end of Children of the Sea. But it's taking you on this ride from start to finish. That's not something I think they are able to accomplish if Ozzy's still in the band. We Some of Wyoming's best guitar work, some of his best lead work, yes, is right on that track. Song, yes. Something like "Die Young." Uh, again, I'm not sure that's a song that gets gets put together with Ozzy and the band. It has those different sections, different parts that that Dio and Iomi probably were able to collaborate on very easily. Sort of the, the the airy, proggy synth part and the hard, heavy, quick main riff of that song. These are really good tracks. I would say it is not as good as the Ozzy Sabbath era at its peak. Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, Sabotage. I think those highs are higher. Those songs in Sabotage are better. But it's a far better album than you would have a right to expect from a, 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 a band that's a band, changing. A band basically reincarnating right, that, that really put, right? put together two, two really subpar albums in a row, found a new lead singer, and really a new way of writing the music. It's far better than you should, should have expected from that scenario. 
so for me, Neon Nights is the opening track on the record. It's kind of like a dividing line. It, to me, I like I like this song a lot, but yeah. it, feel, it feels to me kind of like okay, this is a funny kind of analogy. If you're you are a King Crimson fan and you like them in their '70s version, uh, you know, like you're doing stuff like you know, Lark's Tongues and Aspic and Red and all that, then all of a sudden you you get disciplined and you're like, what the hell? Same band, the same name. Uh, Neon Knights is like, is this Black Sabbath anymore? It sounds so different. It sounds like what what's fascinating to me about the Dio era of Sabbath is that this, in in many ways, is kind of what the sort of prog metal would end up becoming. Yes, uh, you hear basically, even though the antecedents are all there on the earlier, uh, you know, Aussie albums, like it's the professionality, frankly, the professionalism. Of Dio's, and I think good, but also bad, because it makes it sound almost too generic. Uh, mm-hmm. Ozzy's blokeness is what makes Sabbath unique in its weird mm-hmm. way. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, you know, his normality, his just normal guyness, is what keeps them grounded. And now they sound very, very prog and, and excellent. And I, I, I said, I agree with Scott. I love Heaven and Hell. That's that's that that's great. Neon Knights and Children of the Sea also great. I don't think there's there's nothing on the album that insults my intelligence. There's no like 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 filler, and I also appreciate the brevity. Thirty five minute record, my friend. I am always on your side when you keep it brief. As a metal band, no less. No, yes. two, by the way, one of the things we did Tool recently, and of course Tool clearly desperately influenced by everything Sabbath did. But boy, these guys understood the virtues of keeping it short. And maybe yes. they were they're hemmed in by vinyl, but thank God for it. Um, and of course, that's why we're probably not going to discuss some of the later material. But yeah, I guess this brings us to the the second and last album of the Dio era. And I guess the one the last one we'll discuss in details. And this is Mob Rules. One of the last, well, one of the one of the few Sabbath albums actually I really like the cover for. It kind of reminds me of Beggar's Banquet by the Stones, you know, like yeah, yeah, you know, like, or 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 that Lou Reed uh, "Take No Prisoners" live record, you know, a lot of a lot of like you know NYC, you know, garbage graffiti. I like this, and I actually again, I I I think this album's a lot better than its reputation, but it it is no longer sort of like what we think of when we think of classic Sabbath, even though we have made the argument. 
over and over again that what you think of as classic Sabbath isn't actually classic Sabbath. This is this is even further removed from it, in my opinion. It is, it, and this is the end of the road, Eric. What were you gonna say? We were talking about this in, in, in prepping for this in, in pre-production that you could definitely tell the Van Halen influence on this one. Yeah, um, this is the one where you know that they're, they're really being chased by their demons. <laughs> They're being chased by the demons. There's a lot of Brian May style guitar soloing from yep. from uh, from from Tony Naomi on this one. is on this one because you know bill ward is just being captured by his alcoholism unfortunately um and uh vinnie Apice adds something so so incidentally enough the story that ronnie says is that initially they wanted his brother carmine to be on there <laughs> but carmine couldn't go and they had they had a show that they had to play in hawaii and then for whatever reason they got they got vinnie um i don't know how Vinny feels about knowing that but uh but but you know, Carmine adds a different aspect, but you know, again, this is a this is a ship of Theseus thing. If you don't have Bill Ward, who has the, that capacity to write those incredibly tender parts a lot that Ozzy can deliver, and you don't have Ozzy, is it still Sabbath? Um, I think it's. By the way, you, by you, way, for the people who don't understand the reference that Eric just made, because it's glorious, the ship of Theseus is this thing like oh, we're in Athens, ancient Athens. They had like the boat apparently Theseus sailed on to like slay the Minotaur or whatever. But of course, it rotted over time, so they re- yes. replaced one plank of wood after another, and they replaced everything at some point. Is it still the same ship? Yes. Is, is it? Is it still Sabbath? And that, of course, this is the the eternal question with this era of the band. Yeah. Um, but 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 it, but you know, I still like a lot of it. Uh, you know, E fifty one fifty is good. The country, I mean, country girl is well done. Uh, the title track is just you know, it's a headbanger. It's got a great Iomi solo. Turn up the night and yeah. voodoo are good. Um, is it Black Sabbath? Does it have a lot of inventiveness? Not particularly. But do I enjoy it? Does it get the job done? Is yes. it fun? Is it a, is it a damn good album? Yes.
Yeah, that's the way I feel about these. Like, uh, you know, uh, even even on like Never Say Die, for example. Like, I like Hard Road, or yeah, and I and I like, you know, I like the title track here, Mob Rules. Yeah, big headbanger gets the job done. But you're right. This is the point where they begin to sound. It, maybe it's because they were caught by everyone else, or everyone else caught up to them. Now they're fading into to. It sounds generic, and mm-hmm. that's the issue. Yeah. Um, and I think that also, I think that they were probably looking at this was right after Oz had just put out, Ozzy had just put out Blizzard of Oz. Right. And there was an attempt to do essentially arena metal. Um, right. This is, you know, and this is around the time, to the point about Spinal Tap, I believe it is the Mob Rules tour where they got this. So, of course, <laughs> the Spinal Tap, it's the Stonehenge that's too small. Yeah. In, um, oh, God. Thank you for making this, for bringing this up. Okay. Yeah. In, in Mob Rule, I think it was the Mob Rules tour, it was the Heaven Hell tour, one or the other, one or the other. They, it was actually the reverse that they got a, they got a Stonehenge in meters instead of feet, the parameters, and it was too big for the it's stage. Too big, couldn't fit into the stage. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is what I mean. It's like this is why I'm so happy to do Sabbath. Is because like this is the formative influence on one of my favorite films of all time as well as being great music itself yeah 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 i mean i mean i've argued this final tap is a great like actually has great music they yeah, have no, hey every, everyone loves big bottoms man yeah, every, yeah, so, so, hey everyone knows what it feels like to be living in a hellhole yes exactly so like you know i i you know um i, I have a lot and, and a lot of musicians have love spinal tap too um you, you know, so, but, but, uh, you know, that is, so like, again, that, that story is indicative of what was happening as rock and roll was, and as heavy metal, and then you get, you, I mean, around this time, of course, Judas Priest is taking off, Iron Maiden is taking off. Metallica on the indie Metall- circuit is like, like copping all their early licks and like repurposing yeah. them. Exactly. You, you know, Metall- Metallica is beginning to take off. Uh, there's hair metal in Los Angeles, which is a whole other thing. Um, you, so there is, so there's this question about like, is Sabbath still unique or has everybody just at this point, are they fading into irrelevance by virtue, as, as you said, ironically, by having a really technically gifted and uh, an incredible singer in Ronnie James Dio, did they just become another box of soap? There's an argument to be made. I wouldn't necessarily agree with it. I like mob rules a lot. I love heaven and hell. Um, but there is, but you you are right. There is an argument to be made that they almost, by getting a technically gifted singer, they no longer have the same thing. I mean, it's the same same argument you can make with David Lee Roth. Saving Hagar is a better singer. Exactly. This is yeah the great point. It's or even like I'm thinking like Bon Scott and Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson probably had better pipes than Bon. Yes. Right. But like Bon Scott just had that quirk, you know, like he was like him, like and and like like the weirdness and the uniqueness of these like weird brummies who all knew each other and grew up and had to deal with each other created the friction that created the interesting like sand in the oyster that that gives you the pearl that is Black Sabbath. And that's that's what I loved about them. And even though I, I think these both are like really fine records, there's good risk. Like this is not one of those depressing things where you're like, "Don't listen to the Dio stuff." No, it's good, but is it Sabbath? I still keep coming back to it, and my answer ultimately is always no. 
It's heaven and hell. It's heaven and hell. You know, which that's is, a, yeah. and that's and, and again, that's why they toured under that mm-hmm. name. You know, and that that's actually a pretty telling point is that they understood that this was like a departure point. Where, like, you know, we kind of end. Uh, I don't know if we we want to talk. Yeah, I don't think we need to. Yeah. Do, here's here's Scott. Do you have any final thoughts on this one, or do I just want to make the joke about like what happens when a washed up, a second washed up Deep Purple person joins Black Sabbath? You get Gary Sharon is to continue the Van Halen uh, analogy. You know, the third uh, time Ian, is not the charm. Ian Gillen was a fantastic vocalist when he appeared on Jesus Christ Superstar and Deep Purple and Rock Machine Head, all those great classic early albums. By the time in 1982, 83, or whenever it was when the album Born Again came out to sort of inaugurate the final and unnecessary era of Black Sabbath, uh, I, I, I believe he said that, that he cried when he saw the album cover. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's this horrible devil baby. It's like Rosemary's Baby. It's just like, yeah. oh, here's, like a, here's an infant, a newborn with like devil horns. It's all painted in red with blue. It looks like it was, again, done by a very bored and also kind of held back high schooler. Uh, the guy who who's a uh, ninth grader going on 12th. Um, yeah. But my God, I don't have really much to say about the post Dio era of Sabbath. So like, you know, but the, I don't, I don't want to actually like end it on such a negative note because like, listen, all bands have a finite point and, and there's no, there's no shame in not being able to carry on like, I don't know, Bob Dylan seems to have been able to do one way or another for like 70 years. Um, what Sabbath accomplished between, you know, we'll extend it all the way to Mob Rules, 1981. Between 1969 and 1981, they people just think of them as funny, dark metal music. They invented yeah. genres. They invented new sounds. When you think of heavy metal, the only reason you even think of it is because of what Tony Yami did. Okay? Yes. Okay. When you think of like like the sort of like gloom of the darkness of even goth rock. Goth rock doesn't exist before the debut album Black Sabbath exists. No. And all of the progressive moves and the sort of a willingness to sort of admit that, yeah, we, we, we like art and we're not all knobs. You know, we really do like like experimenting. Sabbath kind of was a journey that, that everyone who listened to them and followed them took along with them. And that's yeah. what makes listening to their discography and their evolution so fun. Scott, do you have any last thoughts? It's a 12-year run of very good music. That's a long time for a band. And and again, I think, uh, to, 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 to uh, repeat things we said at the start of the episode and we hopefully exhibited throughout the episode, it's not a band that was stuck uh, in the same rut. It was not a band doing the same thing over and over again. And it was a band that was able to, 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 to bridge two different lead singers and have some success. 
much more technically gifted than you might think. And that goes for essentially all all the members of, of the band. And especially, as I said earlier, I think listening to the drums on most of these albums was a revelation for me in finding how good that Ward was uh, on the kit. Um, and a pretty darn consistent band, too. Until those last two albums with Ozzy, where, where quality control starts to slip, uh, it's a band that always is sort of reaching for the next thing um, and, and, and for the most part, accomplishing it. Uh, it's a very rewarding discography to find yourself lost in, and you will find, I didn't talk quite a, as much about this as I wanted, but you will find all the places that are heavily, heavily influenced. Uh, the one that struck me this time through, as I mentioned, was Eddie Van Halen. I mean, you can, you can. Oh yeah, Pearl Jam. Hear, yeah, Pearl Jam. Yeah. Another band that doesn't exist without Black yeah. Sabbath. Yes, you, you can hear Nirvana. all those places where where, where they're where they're cribbing and taking notes and being really heavily influenced by every part of Black Sabbath. No, Eric, no, any, any final thoughts? I, I mean, this is the point that, like, I mean, I feel like, I mean, I talked about this throughout the throughout the the. Um, the, the, the episode that like one of the things that I've noticed is that your mainstream casual Sabbath fan will cite war pigs or they'll cite paranoia or they'll cite whatever. But when you talk to musicians or when you hear a metal band choose to cover a black Sabbath song, they'll choose something that a lot of other people won't choose. They'll choose a Sabra Cadabra. They'll choose a hole, a in, hole the in the sky. Yeah. They'll choose playing a caravan. Um, they, they 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 will choose something and then what it says is that it brings something out and it reveals something about music heavy hard rock prog whatever music when you listen to those covers of black sabbath songs it reveals a genesis of that genre and it is incredibly fascinating to learn. And going back and listening to it now, it's the same feeling I got when I listened to Albert King for the first time, huh. which was, oh, there's, a, you know, when I heard Albert King for the first time, I was like, oh, there you are, Jim Hendrix. There you are, Stevie Ray Vaughan. There you are, Eric Clapton. <laughs> you hear, yeah. you hear the antecedent. You hear like, oh, this is the grandfather of them all. Yes. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Is then you hear, oh, this is Metallica. This is Nirvana. This is Pearl Jam. This is you know everything. You, you know this is everything. And you're you're uh, and it's and it's so rewarding to see. And I think that I think we've made the I believe we've made the argument that Black Sabbath deserves to be remembered not just as the Godfathers of heavy metal, but the Godfathers of heavy music and hard rock music and uh, prop rock music as a whole and they deserve you know they are a they are a root of a very long and extensive musical tree
you know, Time delivers its just desserts to everyone. And, and, and you know, like one of the fun things about doing political beats is that we get to like say, like, hey, look at this band that everybody mocked at the time. I remember early on we did the monkeys. I was like, everybody made fun of the monkeys, but turns out this is great music. Same thing with Sabbath. And for completely different reasons, I might point out. Monkeys yes. were pop sellouts. These guys were like, you know, you know, sludgy pretenders. This music wins. It wins it over time. It wins over criticism. It will get you too. I cannot just. I, I just can't emphasize enough. Just go. Just you don't even have it, the, the, another great thing about Sabbath's discovery. They don't have B sides or outtakes <laughs> to bother you. Just like track every album in order. Enjoy. Yeah. You're gonna have some fun. You're gonna go through some dark places when you get there. You're gonna go through some goofy ones too. But Black Sabbath is just. A, it's so obvious to me why this ripped kids across the country, across the world back in its day. And I just laugh at the fact that the the squares, the adults didn't figure it out. But we all know now. Absolutely. And, and, and who's laughing now? Because so many bands that critics love can trace back to Black Sabbath. Exactly. There we go. The political beats look at the music and career of... Well, most of the career of Black Sabbath, and we thank we our. We didn't guests, talk uh, about Seventh Seal on uh, purpose. Okay, there you yes. go. Uh, Eric Garcia is with us, Washington Bureau Chief, Senior Washington Correspondent at the Independent. Find him on Twitter Seven at star. Eric M Garcia. Eric, uh, time for the part of the show where we give our two albums, our five songs from Black Sabbath. Two albums people should own. Five songs they need to hear. Take it away. All right, we're going to do this. Um, I think we're all going to be in agreement on this. Um, I'm going to say for albums, you got to go Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and I'm going to and I'm going to I'm going to go there. Heaven and Hell. Those nice. are my two albums. Five songs. Five songs. So I've thought about this for a long time, and I'm taking a play. I'm taking a play out of Jeff's playbook. I'm picking songs that aren't on the albums that I picked. So I am going to go with NIB. That song. That riff. It, again, it does. It shouldn't work, but by God, it does. The lyrics are so silly, but it works. Again, I, uh, another one I'll do is I will do "Hole in the Sky." Uh, that is another one that I that I will uh, that I will absolutely defend. I will do "The Wizard." Mm. I'll do "Sign of the Cross," and I'll do and I'll do "Super Knot." "Sign of the Southern Cross," and I'll do "Super Knot." Bye, there he is. All right, Scott. All right, uh, my two albums are Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. And uh, there's no reason not to do this because it's certainly worthy. So yeah, Sabotage. Those two albums back-to-back, I think those are the two two albums you should own. In terms of songs, if you don't have War Pigs memorized by this point, yeah, that'll be on my list of five. Just remember, masses rhymes with masses. Always. It always does. Uh, Children of the Grave is on my list, uh, the title track from Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and it starts to get a little tricky around this point. I'm going to put Megalomania on my list. I talked glowingly about that earlier in the episode. And then I will take one from the uh, Dio era and say Children of the Sea. So Children of the Grave, Children of the Sea, both represented uh, on my list of five. Jeff, over to you. Okay, so like you know, I already cued. I, I, everyone else knows I said volume four. <laughs> for sure. 
and Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Those are my top two. And as you know, Eric already tipped, my five are going to have to come elsewhere. The funny thing is, is like I submitted my preliminary list, and there were like seven songs just from the debut album, which would have been my number three pick. I'm going to emphasize again, folks. Oh, these that 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 first run all the way basically to the you know end of the Ozzy era after Sabotage, they're all really obligatory. But from the first album, I'm going to say Black Sabbath. The title track by the band with the title album. And again, simple, 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 and then even simpler because it's just bow, bow, bow. It's three notes the entire thing with Ozzy screaming, oh no, please help me. It's it's the birth of a myth. Okay. Second one, uh, since I'm only going to choose one more from the debut. I'll go with Warning. Uh, which is the weird Ainsley Dunbar cover. It's 10 minutes long. It's art rock. It's weird. It's bluesy and bluesy. And it's kind of sort of the the well, I'd say the blueprint for what they were ever going to try to do later. I mean, there's a reason Yami wanted to cover that song and they wanted to do it. It's because it was what he wanted to do with their music and they were going to pull it off even better than they did at that point. After that, I'll say After Forever, my favorite secret Christian rock anthem off of Master of Reality and Children of the Grave, also from Master of Reality, similarly weird. And again, as I argued, the birth of prog metal. And then finally, I'm going to have to say from Sabotage, because again, I already said Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and Volume 4 are my picks. From Sabotage, The Writ. The Writ is <laughs> when Ozzy just starts singing from his heart here at the end about how he's so angry at being screwed over by his <laughs> by his band's manager and all that. All of a sudden, yeah, this is a real man singing about real things, and this is never what you thought Black Sabbath was, but it's always what they were and what they should be. Hell yeah. But Beats look at Black Sabbath. We thank our guest on today's program. He's Washington Bureau Chief and Senior Washington Correspondent at The Independent. Find him at MSNBC, where he's a columnist and he's the author of We're Not Broken. He's on Twitter at Eric M. Garcia. Eric Garcia, our correspondent for the heavier side of things. Thanks for returning and joining us to talk about Black Sabbath. Thank you for having me. Jeff? I gotta, you know, we, we we rarely do this. You were starting a new job, 
And so we said, let's let's plan this out a few months. And so we actually have a few other things lined up. I have to go back and look at the schedule because I actually have forgotten what's next. But it's going to be hey, great. We, I can promise it, that. No matter what it is, it'll be great. That's right. Uh, find Jeff on Twitter at EsotericCD. I'm there at Scott Bertram. A reminder, our Patreon page, patreon.com slash politicalbeats. Support us. Help the show stay ad-free with entry-level, mid-level, and our opera-level best friends, all the information at patreon.com slash political beats. Find the show at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn. Go right to nationalreview.com. Click on the podcast tab. Find us on Facebook. Join the conversation on Twitter at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. Political Beats.